Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. And today we're here to talk about Kevin's pick, Black Robe, from 1991, directed by Bruce Beersford, uh, just a legendary director. Uh, and uh, also other stuff we watched, maybe the Golden Globe nods. And uh, as you might have noticed, we're uh, a trio again, except I've switched places with Jonathan because uh, he's got to do other things that are more important, you know. My daughter was sick. That's why I wasn't here, guys. But uh, Jonathan, you know, you got to go to Zachary and mess around with your dad or whatever the hell you're doing. That's fine. You know, we'll remember. You know, it's it's a family thing. Exactly. Just like like yours. (laughs) Always, always family excuses, right? Yeah. Um. Well, I guess let's just get right into the Globes then. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm terribly rude. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> so, so great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Doing good. good. It's almost Christmas. It yes. is almost. Oh. We're almost off of work. That reminds me. Oh. In the spirit of Christmas. No offense, Kevin. JR, I got, I got you this. It's the fountain graphic novel. <laughs> it's the gra- graphic novel that I lost. Yeah. So, Merry Christmas. Awesome. I'm going to read this. I'll have it back to you next week. No, no, no. You can have it. Oh. It's all you, bud. Fuck. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Kevin, uh, I'll have your coal ready next week. (laughs) Sorry, Kevin. (laughs) No, I just, uh, I remembered that I had it, so I was like, oh, I got to give that to him. So, threw it in my bag. You're on this is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I'll... Set this aside for later. Right. Cool. Um, yeah, so let's talk about these Golden Globe nominations. Sure. Uh, I read online, a friend of mine posted some, re- they were like the worst nominations in years, not representative of how good cinema is this year, blah, 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 blah. He was mad that Eighth Grade wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And that, really? uh And that First Reform didn't get anything, Hereditary didn't get anything. Not that they didn't get anything, but they didn't get Best Picture nods is what he was upset about. Right. Has he... Is he aware of award season and uh, <laughs> and the Golden Globes specifically? Those were never getting nominated. Right. Yeah. Ever. This is, he's. I, I. I feel like he's the kind of person who would get mad. It, he's going to get mad when the Oscars don't recognize First Reformed, you know. And it's like, obviously, they're not going to nominate First Reformed. Right. For any or Hereditary. I mean, they or it'll be some like throwaway like best costume design. Yeah. It's like when you watch Hereditary, all you think is well. You know, Tony Colletto might get a nomination for this. Everything else is dead. Like, he's not getting any other recognition. Tony Collette might sneak through. Right. Nobody else is getting anything. And, yeah. pro- and probably not. Yeah, exactly. And it came out so early. It's like the filmmakers know. We don't have a shot at anything. We're just making a movie, you know? It's a yeah. horror movie. Yeah. The Academy hates horror movies. Yeah, they hate horror, like, more than they hate comedy. Exactly. So. so Marissa Tomei has an Oscar. So I mean, let's 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 get our minds right here. Okay? Right. Not nothing against Marissa Tomei, but it's for my cousin Vinny, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, not that she wasn't fantastic. She's just adorable. I love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the best pic- best motion picture drama. Right. Uh, you know, uh, for me, this plays right along. The only thing that's shocking to me in this in this list of Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born is Bohemian Rhapsody, which seems like a totally ridiculous uh, nomination, especially since it's in the drama category when they have a comedy musical category. I thought right, that both. Yeah. 
I thought both Bohemian Rhapsody and A Star Is Born would be in right. the uh, the musical comedy. Yeah, category. and it's and it's a situation where I think last year or the year before there was a big controversy about how you know you choose what you submit as. So then they they choose to take your submission or not. And it's like people were submitting their miniseries as limited series or their si- right. limited series right. as miniseries. And you submit as drama if you're a comedy or a comedy if you're a drama just because you think you had a better shot at beating out the films in that particular category. And everyone was scared of Mary Poppins. Mm. <laughs> were they? I don't know. I don't, I don't did, know. Did Mary Poppins get any nominations? Yeah, Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, people. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Emily Blunt, of course, for actress. Right. In a musical or comedy. This is what I hate about the Golden Globes is the fact that they separate those things. I kind of like it in a way because it's like... More nominations. You're, and you're giving, the, mm. you're giving those kinds of films that wouldn't get recognition that recognition. But yeah. at the same time, it's just like I have to remember now like twice as many nominations and keep up with them. Right. You know? So... I don't know. And, and and a lot of these seem like a total shit show. Like, I don't know. It just feels like <clears throat> having seen only, you know, I've only seen a, a handful of any of these films. But I remember after I saw Star is Born, I was having lunch with my wife and I told her, I said, Star is Born is going to win Best Picture. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a it's a lock. That's what I felt right after watching. And I was like, it's just it's built to win the Best Picture Oscar. Right. And I still feel that way, and I feel like Bradley Cooper has a shot at actor, and she, Lady Gaga is almost definitely going to win actress. So I think all that will play out uh, at these awards as well. Mm. And apparently this uh, this Vice business is just coming down the pipe, and people are loving it. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. People like, have seen it. I know. Yeah. He's, I don't know. Like, anything that has to do with, like, vilifying dick cheney uh-huh. like automatically people are gonna just jizz their pants over it <clears throat> sure right I, my, my, my issue is that it doesn't it feels like well i mean just based on the trailer alone and the fact that adam mckay is direct adam mckay is uh doesn't have a great track record for me and um i know people like the big short i thought it was just uh you know uh, horrible, <laughs> uh, but um, I, thought he, I thought he was great until the big short. Yeah, right. Ah. It's like it's like he. Yeah, I mean his comedies are you know if you like comedy they're 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 funny. But the big short is a, a definite misstep in my opinion. And this is like him digging in deeper and saying you know I'm mm. I'm going all in on this drama thing. Yeah, and, even though it's nominated as a comedy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so exactly. So it's like totally bizarre, right? It's like, right. Is this a comedy or is this big short a comedy or a drama? You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is why the Oscars are better, simply because they don't differentiate. They're just like whatever. If your movie is, you know, if your yeah. movie is a biopic, it gets nominated regardless of whether it's funny or not. You know? Right. <laughs> if it's over two hours, then you're in. Yeah. Exactly. You know. <laughs> if if uh, people are going to get mad at us if we don't nominate it, if enough people get mad, we'll nominate it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that? Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I didn't see Avatar, but I mean, I'm just saying, you know. You I didn't either. Saw it, but like, no, I haven't no. seen Avatar. Oh, you haven't seen it either? No. <laughs> what the fuck? See, here's, here's the thing. Like, everyone kept telling me how long it was and how it was a ripoff of Pocahontas. Sure. So it was like, why do I want to, why would I ever want to see that? Mixed with Fern Gully. Okay. <laughs> or I could just watch Fern Gully. I used to love Fern Gully I'm when not I was recommending a kid. Avatar. I just, okay, it yeah. surprises me that. You Adam would not recommend Avatar. Yeah, because I, I hate it. Oh, you hate it. Okay. <laughs> I just, I, I'm surprised that I'm sitting with two people that didn't yeah. see it considering it made. I mean, so much money. Yeah, I did. I, I can understand. I mean, it's, it became kind of like a cultural benchmark, but now I think it's mostly forgotten. 
Yeah, I don't think people are talking Except about it. Except for the anymore. papyrus in the credits. Right, 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 right. People talk about that a lot still. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just wasn't, uh, I was at a, I wasn't, wasn't at a place where I was ready to watch something like that at that time. I was, mm. it's like, this is like a big bloated PG 13 blockbuster. And I was like, it looks like shit. I'm not going to see it. If it came out now, I would almost definitely see it. Right. Just based on it being directed by James Cameron and things like that. But, oh, yeah. But, um, because your maturity has regressed. no i mean i i just think cameron knows how to make a movie he's like spielberg he's like you might not like what he makes all the time but he's you can't deny the talent like he knows what he's doing right i mean (laughs) like go i mean you watch titanic it's like it's not great it's not like a masterpiece of filmmaking but on a technical level it it Mm. blows you away i mean it's incredible right i do remember there was a big thing of like um Sorry, I keep coughing. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, like when Catherine Bigelow won, well, I did she, she won her those? she won Hurt Locker and director the right. same year Avatar was yeah nominated. Right, and I think like Avatar didn't get anything, no, and like they were yeah. making some Got big deal out. about how you know they were they used to be married, and yeah. like yeah. you know they snubbed James Cameron and gave <laughs> it all to Catherine Bigelow, and it's like like that was the bigger story. They snubbed Catherine Bigelow 20 years before that when she made Point Break. So I mean, let's get real here, well, okay? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> We're going to talk about Bigelow. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, well, uh, you know, anything else to say about these? I mean, the favorite got nominated, uh, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz both got right. nominated, so that means they'll both lose. Right. And Olivia Coleman got nominated. Oh yeah, she did for best actress. Best actress. So That was weird too. It was like yeah. Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone for supporting actress. Right. Even though they seem like they're the stars of the film. Right. Olivia Coleman seems like she's the supporting actress in, in the trailer, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, she's the queen, so. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, Roma for Best Picture, Best Director, rather, and that's coming out next week on Netflix. Right. Foreign language films are not eligible for Golden Globe Best Picture Awards. Is that right? Yep. Wow. Last week. Really? The Hollywood, the Hollywood foreign press doesn't like for everything else. <laughs> That's interesting. I did not know that. Is there a separate category? Best foreign language. Film. Oh, right, right, right. That's bizarre. See, that's weird, too. It's like, what a weird restriction. The Academy Awards has nominated uh, foreign language pictures as best picture before. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's happened in a while. I think mm. they did. Didn't they do um, a more? Was that not for best picture? I and know. I feel like. City of God was as well, but that was that was a long time. That ago, was two thousand three, right? Four. I don't remember anymore. Maybe it was. Maybe, but anyway, uh, yeah. So these look like uh, you know, you're to me they look run of the mill as fuck, and uh, you know, the television nominations look really boring. Like I, I don't even know who half these shows are. I know the Americans yeah. and Homecoming. I've never heard of Bodyguard or Pose. I've heard of Pose. But what are these? What is it? Uh, it's about. Like a um, bunch of trans people in New York in like the eighties, I think, and okay. like it's, I think it's like all like ninety percent of it is actual like trans actors. That actually sounds kind of so, interesting. I might watch. What's what stations is on? Uh, or F- FX or FXX? <laughs> I know right? what. What streaming network is it on? Yeah. Um, what, whatever one <clears throat> FX is on. I've heard Killing Eve is really good. Yeah, I've heard Killing Eve is good too. It's on Hulu now, so right. I might check nice. it out. I um, thought, and I thought everyone hated Homecoming. Now I thought Homecoming was a bad. No, show. no, 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 no. You're thinking of Homeland. Homecoming is the new I, Julia uh, Roberts show I am on Amazon. Thinking of Homeland. Oh right. my God. Thank yeah. you. This is the new show about uh, PTSD and Julia Roberts and some kind mm. of conspiracy at her hospital that she works at or something. 
I've actually seen three of the best television series comedies. Wow. And I I don't watch TV, so that's... That is weird. Cool. I've seen Barry, and I've seen half of Kidding. The Good mm. Place is wonderful, and so is The Marvelous Miss Maisel. I've watched uh, part of the first episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel when I stayed home with my daughter one day, mm-hmm. and uh, I liked it quite a bit. She goes to see Lenny Bruce in the first episode. It's kind of interesting. Nice. And uh, I've been wanting to watch The Kaminsky Method, the Michael mm. Douglas Allen Arkin sitcom that's on Netflix. Right. Single camera sitcom. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think it almost seems like the television's more exciting than the uh, than the films. For sure. But uh, I guess... Moving on um, to what we watched. Sure. You guys uh, you guys got anything? Or, uh, well, I'll go first because I got like 15 things. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, gonna, up I'm not jumping way back because like I saw Halloween, for instance, but uh, it was like a month ago. So right. I'm not going to talk about it. It wasn't that great. And, uh, you know, I saw some other stuff. But anyways, I will talk. I'll start with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which, uh, yeah. which was the thing that hurt me the most last week not to get to talk about because I really, really enjoyed it. And I feel like everybody who watches it and talks about it is only talking about it in terms of an anthology film. Like, it's a movie of vignettes, and you watch it and you say, oh, well, some vignettes were good and some were bad, and this is my favorite, and this is the worst one. But it's like nobody's talking about, like, okay, the first thing I thought when the movie ended, okay, Coen Brothers are done with Westerns. They'll never make another Western. They will. They won't. They just will not. It'll never happen. I'll put my money on the table right now. They will never make another Western. And here's why. Because this movie is like homage to all Westerns. It's like every Western, every genre in the subgenre in Western wrapped up in this film. You know, it goes all over the place, all over the West. There's uh, nighttime shit. There's different kinds of weather. There's different kinds of characters. There's serious moments. There's really, really ridiculous moments. There's comedic moments. There's stuff that straddles that line. There's dark comedy. There's uh, slapstick comedy. I mean, it's just like everything. There's the singing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like uh, it's it depressed me, actually, to think about when it ended because I was like, I really would like to see them do more. But it's like this is it. They've done it all now. They don't. Well, what what would they come back to? What would they do now with a western? Snow western. Snow. <laughs> well, they had snow in this film though. This it wasn't and the during, mortal remains. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, I think and during uh, the um, yeah, Liam Neeson, one. the Liam Neeson one. Yeah, and it's just it's wasn't that. Oh, that was meal ticket. Sorry, not yeah, mortal yeah. remains. So it's like it just seems like. Uh, even though that wasn't like, you know, like a McCabe of Mrs. Miller kind of snow, like people weren't getting blown away in it or anything. Mm. But it just feels like they've they blew their load with it, essentially. They were like, let's write something that's our ode to Westerns or our ode to Western the genre. And uh, it was really good. I think it did that really well, which is why I gave it such a high rating. Right. Uh, and I loved all the segments. But, I, I mean, you know, you obviously like some more than others. But um, for me, it was... I think it started off so strong. Mm. That first segment was amazing. And I actually watched it and the second segment again the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just uh, really, really good. I loved uh, everybody in it. Did an excellent job. The, if I had any negatives to say about it, I would say the look of it is kind of, you know, shot. I think it was shot by the same guy who did Lewin Davis and, it doesn't it looks like Lewin Davis like it looks like washed out and like 
gauzy and stuff at points. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I prefer their, you know, like if you watch No Country and the Deke man, you know. Yeah. He, uh, he's really crisp and god shadows and everything. Yeah, he's a god of cinema. So <laughs> definitely looks uh, better, especially for this kind of movie. But I, I don't know. I just thought like it was really, it was like deceptively simple. Also, there were really mm-hmm. deep moments in it. That were like even in the first like five minutes when he's walking, he's riding along and he's singing into the canyons and nobody's there and it's like echoing back at him. I was like, right. that's interesting, you know. And uh, yeah, the breaking the fourth wall stuff was amazing. Mm. The violence was so unexpected and grotesque. And a uh, little tribute to Sam Raimi in there. I don't know if you guys saw it in the first shootout. Uh, he shoots the bartender and the, the sunlight goes through his wound for a second. Oh, just like at the end of uh, Quick and the Dead. <laughs> So they're still referencing Sam Raimi all these years later. Uh, Best yeah. character that ever lived. I mean, so. he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, Dark Dark Man is you know it's, it's <laughs> beyond <Man>. cinema. <laughs> Dark Man. Uh, yeah, so I gave it a four and a half. Loved the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, and that was a rarity because I don't think there's any. There might not be any movies so far that all of us have our ratings that close. Yeah, I agree. Because like the only odd man out was Jonathan. And he just had before, to be because so. he saw our ratings first. And he was like, "Oh, well, I can't give it that. I'll go lower. I didn't like it that much." I don't know. In his heart of hearts, it's probably a four and a half. Because you know how yeah. like he'll like rate something like pretty low on Letterbox, and then as he's talking about it, like that's actually you know like pretty yeah. good, and yeah. it's more like a four yeah. instead of a one and a half. It's a little malleable. He's not like Jordan malleable. Like Jordan, <laughs> Jordan would be like, it's like a two, and then you talk to him for 30 minutes, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess it is like a four and a half or a five. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that part of it. Like, after he saw McCabe and Mrs. Miller at the library, oh, yeah. he was like, he, he's gonna, I was giving it like a two and a half, and I was going to give it a five, and I was talking to him about why I was giving it a five, and he's like, oh, you know, it's a five. And I talked to him for like half an hour, and he's like, yeah, it was pretty good. I guess I missed those parts. I don't know. That was really good. Didn't understand that. <laughs> anyway. This is what you get for quitting, Jordan. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And this is what you get for not being here, Jonathan. Yeah, exactly, Jonathan. Yeah. Kevin? So I watched Destination Wedding. <laughs> yeah. I saw that it was on Prime and, like, you know, I posted. This, this surprised me. I did because I didn't even realize it had come and gone. Yeah. I mean, like, I posted the trailer on the blog and then I was looking through Amazon Prime and saw that it was on there. Was Is like, it a Prime movie? I mean, did they make it or they financed it or I whatever? I don't think so. But okay. it was, like, you know, on the list of included with Prime. So I was like. You know, it's only an hour and a half. I'll check it out. Yeah. And it was really funny. Like, um, it's kind of a typical setup where, like, you have two characters who are, like, you know, really misanthropic and, you know, they just can't stand each other. But then by the end, they fall in love and all that good kind of stuff. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this one was, like, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves are the only ones who actually have speaking roles. Everyone else just kind of is in the background. and That's and, interesting. And instead of them, like, you know, like, getting into, like, a topic a la, you know, like, Before Sunrise or something like that where they, like, wax poetic, it's usually some kind of scenario that they riff off of. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And it's pretty funny, especially the scene where they're confronted by a mountain lion and... Yeah, it's a good, entertaining movie. Let's stop right there real quick. Sorry. And go. 
And I would say Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves, like they definitely have a chemistry from having known each other for so long. So the riffing is really natural in, even though, like I said before, like the characters themselves being so misanthropic and they're thrown together. It's like, yeah, that's a setup we've seen before, but they can really make it work. So nice. What'd you give it out of five? Four. Four. That's really high, man. <laughs> I don't know. I got to watch it now. Yeah. See, so I mean, you're forcing me to watch this thing. Yeah. I do a double bill with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. We just come on here, give a movie a high rating just so we yeah, just go, just force. It's deceptive. He it. knows he knows it's trash. So he's giving it a high rating. <laughs> so I'll, so I'll watch it. And then like, ah, you watched it too. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what I do. You know, like, <laughs> Like I actually think that Full Metal Jacket is a six out of five, but only exactly. rated it lower, so he would ha- he would be forced to watch it again. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Jr. All right. Let's see. I'll start. Um, I watched a classic yesterday morning. It's been on my watch list since college. I don't know. <laughs> I watched uh, Rocco and His Brothers, which is uh, Visconti. Yeah, Lucchino Visconti, like mm. his. Uh, maybe his biggest film, like his most acclaimed film. I don't know. Really? I don't know about that. It's, it's one of them. What would be more acclaimed? The let's, Leopard? Let's look it up. Yeah, I would say uh, that one. That's one I have actually heard of. So, <laughs> Well, it's like, uh, which one's higher on the sight and sound pole? Are they on the sight and sound pole? I don't know. Fuck yeah, they are. <laughs> anyway, oh, he so, did Senso and Death in Venice? I mean, I know both of those also. Okay. So. This is definitely a bigger deal than Senso. You know Senso because it's on Criterion. I guess. Death in Venice is newly on Criterion. Oh, obs- so. uh, Obsession is a um, unofficial <laughs> adaptation of The Postman Always Rings Twice. That's yeah. interesting. I didn't love it. Obsession. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. I hated the, uh, yeah. I, I hated the uh, Bob <laughs> Rafelson remake of The Postman Always Rings Twice, so um, I might agree with you there. That's surprising. All right, I'm going to talk. You keep uh, fact-checking me. I'll talk sure. about this. Sure, go ahead. All right. Uh, oh, The Damned, I also know. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you, don't know, uh, you don't know White Knights? Not doesn't sound familiar. You don't know Ludwig? Lud, I have heard of Lud, Ludwig. All right. There's probably eight more if you want to go through those <laughs> one by one. No, no, no. Go ahead. Talk about your movie. Okay, so this Oh, I know. I'm just kidding with you. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so this is made uh, kind of at the end of Visconti's uh, neo-realist run before he goes full color, big uh big bombastic stuff, kind of with the full he sells out is what you're saying. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is like a Italian neo-realist epic. It's a crime mobster movie. It's a family drama. It's a boxing movie. It's a it's a lot of shit, and it's about these uh, these four sons and their mother that moved to Milan to like live with the eldest son, who's supposed to be like there and successful already, and he's he's not that. Uh, he's there, but he's not successful. Mm. And um, you know, the rest of it, they just kind of it's three hours of the family looking for housing, and then work, and then brothers falling in love, and brothers getting into boxing, and brothers fighting. And the family falling apart and all all that kind of shit. And it's uh it's fucking awesome. It's just it's just a really awesome movie. And it's uh I don't know, I guess Visconti just 
kind of knows how to make this near realism stuff uh, mm-hmm. melodramatic as fuck, and it's it's really good. And Elaine Delon as uh, Rocco is is really good. And do you guys know Elaine Delon? I've heard of heard of him. He's a uh, less, less samurai. I know you've seen that. Kevin. All right, yeah. Famous famous French dude, right? Not Italian like Visconti. Um, how do they work with that? Does he speak Italian? No. So they dub him or something? Or? No, I mean this is an Italian movie. They they dub everybody. They dub everybody. Right. So this right. is uh, a <clears throat> yeah, no of no course. audio recorded. Um. So yeah, this is uh this is amazing. It's not on DVD, so you have to find it online illegally or on TCM or something. So uh, go find it. Wait for that new. Uh, wait for that Criterion channel to open up next year, and it'll, yeah. it'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> it's never. This is one of. I don't know. This is Visconti's biggest movie that's not on Criterion. I oh, for real? I can say that. Oh, <clears throat> that's interesting. Um, what did you give it out of five? Four and a half. Four and a half. That's that is high for Jr. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's. <coughs> I like Visconti. This is his best movie that I've seen. For sure. Whoa. Mm. Uh, well, I watched uh, a few weeks ago. Picked up a little movie I've been man- meaning to watch for a long time, and uh, it's called The Culpepper Cattle Company. Picked up from the library, watched it, loved it, and then I immediately texted uh, Jr. to told him you got to watch this movie. It's it's western. It's great, and you haven't seen it. And then he proceeded to shatter my never, dreams. I had never heard of it. Never wow, heard of this. That's even, that's even more rare. I, where where had you heard of this? Why was it on your uh, oh, watch list? Oh, I uh, googled a few times. So I had read Blood Meridian when I was in college and just was really like, you know, had a huge heart on for that book and wanted more content like that. Mm. So I was like, give me books like Blood Meridian. So I was looking up the book and they were just like, you know, here are other books by Cormac McCarthy. There's nothing nothing like Blood Meridian, you know? And then I was like, okay. So, and I was like, maybe like movies can get closer, like in a close approximation. I was like, give me some bleak Westerns. What's like the bleakest Western? And, you know, you got all your, like, Dead Man's Pretty Bleak and, you know, and uh, High Plains Drifter and shit like that. But then, then then you get into these ones I never heard of, like the Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid and uh, Culpepper Cattle Company. So I watched the uh, the former of those a while ago, and uh, it was a piece of shit. I hated it. <laughs> and I was, like, really turned off. And then I watched The Long Riders, which is Walter Hill's uh, movie about uh, – Jesse James and Frank James and all right. the uh, all the different brother gangs, right? And uh, I didn't like it either. And I they I feel like they were just like it's bleak because it's everybody dies, you know. And I was like, that doesn't make a movie bleak, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, so it doesn't have the existential just exa- dread. I need, that I, I need, Blood, and, Blood Meridian I, and I want that, right. right? So I was like, last chance, Culpepper Cattle Company, throw it on. It doesn't have any of that either. But yes. <laughs> but I was going to say no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. But it is to me. It's like. It's so simplistic that, and procedural as far as certain elements involving cattle driving, <laughs> I loved it. It's about this boy who like wants adventure, so he just leaves his mama and he goes to the drive cattle with uh, Mister Culpepper, who says they're like passing by. Yeah, this is amazing, amazingly bearded man with leather cuffs, and uh, he takes him on as a uh, like a bus boy to the cook, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, they call him, uh, you're going to be his, his Mary. Yeah. Right. <laughs> his li- little Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Like a bitch essentially. Yeah, right? right. And, uh, he agrees just cause he wants to go and he keeps his gun in the holster, but it's in a bag. Like he doesn't wear it. <laughs> this is amazing. Cause he's too scared, you know? And it's just these little like tiny adventures along the way of this cattle drive. Like they send him to do something and he gets his gun stolen and his horse stolen and they find him. And they, they're like, where it happened to your stuff? And he's like, these guys took it. And they go and they kill those guys and they get him his stuff back, which is just an amazing, just completely dialogueless scene where they just come upon him and just murder them. He only fucks up. Hey, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's fine. Uh, and so, um, you know, they continue. And uh, in, it, I, I would say the um, the third act is problematic. Uh, they, they run into a, a weird, like, religious cult. Uh, and that kind of, eh, it could have been gone. It didn't have to be there, but, uh, there was plenty of reason for them to fight the person that they fight at the end without this cult being involved. But, um, you know, I forgive it because I enjoyed the rest of it so much. And I love the, uh, unabashed violence of it. I love its PG rating, even though it's so (laughs) fucking violent. (laughs) I did not realize it was PG. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just, I love the fact that it's got, you should no longer be mad at Jaws. I know. Right. It's got, um, it's got a lot of 72. Oh, a lot of really good character actors. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis is in this. Ooh. Uh, the guy, who's the guy who played the accountant in untouchables. And then he directed a Christmas story. Fuck. That guy's in it. It's his first role. He's like 15 years old. Uh, and then the the guy I love the most in it, though, uh, Matt Clark. Okay. Do you know this guy? No. I was really nervous you were going to say Gary Grimes. But no, I don't even know who that is. Who does he play? He's the kid. Oh, no. he was. He, he, I didn't think he was bad, though. I thought he played his, like, you know, goofy, naive, idiot boy. I don't really know if well. he was bad, but he annoyed the show. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt Clark played the... Uh, wisecracking guy who's always making jokes and lying and stuff and telling tall tales and then he gets into it with Jeffrey Lewis I love that scene that scene fucking ruled and uh, I was like who is this guy this guy's great like what's he been in I look him up the only thing and as I recognize him a little bit Mm -hmm. he's in Back to the Future 3 he's the bartender (laughs) that's the only thing I've ever seen him in wow I was like this guy's fucking great he should be in everything but anyway he was I liked him a lot I loved the movie I thought it was great Uh, I wish it was on Criterion Blu-ray yeah, I said it. JR? Re- rebuttal? Yeah, I um <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, like this uh we have like his little all of his little trials and he always fucks up and it, yeah. it seems like this very business focused leader of the cattle company would have just ditched him pretty early on in this movie. Maybe she's a little bit of himself in there. Yeah. Hey? Sure. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that this, I have a hard time believing this bearded man, <laughs> this wonderful man fucked up like this. He was never someone's little Mary. That's right. He, pro- he probably was. He probably was. Um, so like for, for 75 minutes, I think it's just like Gary Grimes is annoying me. We're going through all these little things and some of the things are fine and the, uh, the character actors are good. Um, and even the scene where the whole company has to give up their guns yeah. to this guy, I thought that was great. Amazing. And from there, it was frustrating as fuck to watch. I was, I felt yeah. just like Jeffrey Lewis. I was like, get fuck these guys, like kill them. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, and then it's like, of course, of course, Grimes has his gun in the bag. So he, yeah. he gets to keep his gun. Beautiful writing. Just, 
<laughs> just a great way around the problem. But it's just uh, my problem. My huge problem came with that third act as they they happen upon these uh, these settlers with this kind of just psycho god man <laughs> who's like God has brought us to this spot, even though it's someone else's land. Uh, and then when that same guy, the same landowner comes up and is like, everyone has two hours to get off this land. Uh, and and the, the God guy is just like, well, we can't leave. This is where God brought God us. God told us. What are we going to do? I was like, well, this is annoying. And then the cattle company is like, All right, well, let's go. Uh, you know, we're not dealing with this. Sure. But Gary Grimes is like, no, I've got to be a hero. Right. And, and he has to make up for all the times he's fucked up so far, Jr. It just like this movie does a really good job of not being like this hero Western thing. And, and I know it, it's still not doing that because Gary Grimes is not a hero. He's a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the idea that he would be convinced that we have to do the standoff just. Well, he feel like it went with the movie. Can um, I can I just can I just. OK, so yeah. doesn't that doesn't that play right into his naivete, though? Like his I mean, he thinks like. The whole time he's, I agree, he's an idiot. Like he messes up everything. He's not cut out for what he's trying to do. He should be a farmer. Yeah, you know, so it just it bugs me that he has not. After all these fuck ups, he's not built any self awareness. Right, and and then at the, even at the end, he, he gets the whole company killed except for uh, Culpepper, who doesn't come back to uh, right to help him. Yeah, everyone. Spoiler. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> thanks, <And> Jr. <laughs> and a lot of the cult people die, I think, too. So it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fuck those guys. So. And then of course the guy guy's like, "Well, this blood has been, this land has been stained. We got to get uh, out of here. This was just a, this was just a test. We're we're leaving." Yeah. And then you know Grimes rides off into the sunset. But he throws his gun away. Is going to be a good idea. No, he throws his gun away. He, he does. He throws his gun away, and he realizes this has been a huge mistake. And he go back to Mama, and the guy who directed uh, Christmas Story, and I need to <laughs> hang out with him some more, and race carts with him some more. Um. Right. In that final, I did not think the final shootout was hand- choreographed well. I could see that. I mean, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it just because I like the kind of like sloppy nature of it. Like how the the guy, the one guy, stabs him and then he shoots him right when he stabs him, and and then like the random slow mo cuts, like they're like peck and paw. All of a sudden, the guy's like flying. <laughs> you know. So that was fine. It was more towards the towards the end of it when. Um, the way that we get rid of some of the characters is to have them shoot someone sure. immediately step out of their cover to inspect what they shot. <laughs> and then of course they just get shot when they hear like, they're like, I'm going to ignore the horse hooves running up behind me and just stand here for this. Um, but then again, I, I hated uh, Gary Grimes as the kid as like, you just can't be a wildly incompetent character and just be annoying as a human. And I, I just he, I don't know what it, what it was about him, but he annoyed me. He 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 annoyed me too. But I think his purpose was to annoy a little mm. bit. Yeah. Uh. I mean, I don't think the filmmakers were like that meta or self aware about it. But I think that, uh, you know, he's obviously like his character is is pretty, uh, like I say, naive, and yeah. that makes him annoying. I think his constant screw ups are annoying to watch. They're frustrating. So yeah, this was headed for like a. This is a pretty good western, although not a great one. And I could, I liked, yeah, I just, I just liked how it wasn't about heroes, and it was, yeah, very matter of fact. And then I just hated the ending, so it went down to two and a half. 
Well, uh, you know, it's okay to be wrong once in a while, JR. Uh, I gave it a four and a half. Loved it. We'll watch it again many times. Kevin? So I finally watched Deliverance for the first time. So here's another shocking rating. This, this, this uh, you guys are all over the map today. I didn't uh, see this rating, so I'm excited. Go ahead. Oh, uh, it was like a three. Well, you, I mean, could, you could build up build, to that, yeah, guy. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, uh, so I, I guess, like, from all the th- things that I've heard about this movie, I had expectations about what what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and then it ended up being so much more boring <laughs> than I thought. It, than I thought you know, the scenario would have led you to believe. Um, I think the best part of the movie is when the guy and the other dude are like doing their, you know, dueling banjos thing. It's like the music is really good and it's really solid. But the rest of it is... (laughs) The dueling banjos scene is the best part of the movie? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, dad. (laughs) Fuck, man. The dueling banjos scene. What do you think is the best scene? I mean, I, I it seems, I mean, like, it seems <laughs> obvious you would go straight to the rape scene. I mean, that's pretty the, the most intense scene of the film and the most hard to get through and it's affecting, and I thought it was very disturbing. Uh, not you, at did, all, Did it bother you to watch Ned Beatty get raped? You don't see Ned Beatty get raped. You see it in the background a little bit, and you, and you see John Voight's reaction to it. I mean, it's disturbing. It's fucked up what they do to these people. Yeah, but then, like, that's it, and, like... And then they get revenge. Sort of. I mean... They kill them. <laughs> he kills one, for sure, but then, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, they're not... Sh- he's not sure later on when John Voight kills another guy, he's not sure if it's the same guy. And... Yeah. I don't... Like, I was expecting, you know, like, they, they're they they're going down, they're doing this, you know, Whitewater Rapids thing, they're having a break from the city life... And then they're like being like stalked down the river and like they're, you know, constantly being hunted. Yeah. You know, they pick off, you know, one of the hillbillies every now and then they get the You wanted it to be an action them. movie. Yeah. Was, I was, ex- yeah. I was expecting Southern Comfort. Yeah. You want Southern Comfort. I guess. That's what you want. I like Go Southern watch Comfort it. more. I mean, from it's, what you told I me. I don't. I like this better, but I do love Southern, Southern Comfort. And I think you need to watch Southern Comfort if that's what you want. I do. I do want to watch that eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I was, I was expecting, you know, like a lot more tension and like, and especially like with the rape scene, I was expecting like something like, you know, that peck and paw would have been like, Oh God, that's too much. But then it's like, really, well, it's more about reactions and you're not seeing, I understand. Yeah, well, yeah, you're it's not going to sh- well, you see yeah, pen- penetration, I know, or <laughs> I know you're not going to see that. Yeah. But I thought at least there would be like a lot more like yelling, and it would be you know like some tense music. He squeals or... like a pig all the time. No, it's it's. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of like what you just said. If it, if Peck and Paw had directed it, it would have been like trashy and sleazy. But since you and it's, a lot more slow mo, it's, it's Borman directing it, so it's like he's classing it up a little bit. You know, I mean, he's like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just he just is. He's British, you know. So it's like you're, you're gonna make yeah, it, uh, yeah. you know, it's gonna be uh, artier, <laughs> artsier. I did read an interesting thing about the uh, the production of the movie. Apparently, the guy who wrote the book was like incensed about something that they were doing, and like he got into a fist fight with Borman and like broke you know broke out a couple of his teeth. Oh my! But then later on, they became good friends. 
It's Borman's a really interesting director too because he's he directed one of my favorite films of all time, Caliber. Right. Yeah. And I love Deliverance a lot. Although, I mean, to be fair, I've seen it multiple times, but I haven't seen it in a few years. Um, I was going to watch it when Burt Riddles died. I just never got around to it. Mm. And uh, But then his other films that I've seen, I did not like at all. Like, Zardoz was a train wreck. And, yeah. Uh, which I think is like, I think people agree that that's, you know. Yeah. It is like, what it is. But the, uh, and then there's the other, the, the Taylor of Panama, which I could not stand. Which is, that's a funny one too, because like it's a John le Carre thing and like. I think a lot of the comedy in Taylor of Panama works, but like a lot of the suspense that's sort of supposed to be there doesn't really work. And like, um, and to be fair, I saw it when I was a teenager, so I don't, you know, yeah, I probably I mean, just didn't get it or something. I mean, like, like Pierce Brosnan's like whole, you know, like trying to be more of a like it's Pierce Brosnan trying to be James Bond and not succeeding, which could have like. If they had gone like a lot more into the comedy, I think Taylor of Panama would have been better because like the Taylor of Panama, like the book is based on Our Man in Havana, which is the same thing only in Havana. But um, like that one has a lot more of like really like British type of humor, mm-hmm. and so the book really works very well. The movie is okay. Um, have you seen these films, Taylor of Panama, Zardoz, Taylor of Panama, or? Zardoz. Okay. I've seen Point Blank, and that's awesome. Oh, I, I own Point Blank. I've not watched it. I've heard uh, very good things about Point Blank. But again, that's like, I mean, I feel like I'll watch Point Blank and I'll like it, but it's like, that's not like Borman. I mean, that's Borman lifting uh, French New Wave shit, right? I mean, that's like, <laughs> I mean, it's not like you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, that's a John Borman picture, all right? I mean, for me, it's like when it's I watch a- when I watch Deliverance and Excalibur, the deliberate pacing of those films where they should be action movies maybe, but they're slower than that. That's the way I think of John Borman as a filmmaker to me. I don't know. Yeah. And then you watch Zardoz, and to me it's like the same thing with Zardoz, except Zardoz is just absolutely ridiculous at, yeah, at the same time. So is the Emerald Forest. Oh, Emerald Forest sucked too. Yeah, I hated the Emerald Forest. <laughs> I saw that too. I forgot about that. Right. I really wanted to like that one because Powers Booth rules, man. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like a cool movie. It does. It but does. It's, not. it's just uh, not not good. But uh, well, that's too bad, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think like the biggest the biggest problem with the movie is not the movie itself. It's my expectations of what the movie should have been, based on everything that I've heard about it down through the years. Sure. And we'll get into that more when we talk Black Rope. Again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> so I, I but there is a funny bit that uh, Jeff Foxworthy does about, like, he was talking about the Olympic Games when they were being held in Georgia. Mm. And they don't realize it, but the river they're doing the kayaking on is the same place they filmed Deliverance at. If a Frenchman and a, if Ned Beatty couldn't make it down that river, a Frenchman in a pair of bicycle pants ain't got a chance. That's very redneck humor. Okay. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be about how Jeff Foxworthy was the person reaping Ned Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin Phil down there. <laughs> oh boy! So you gave it a three. Yeah, I mean it's decently acted. Um, well, I appreciate that. And. <laughs> And yeah, like I do like the music is really good. It's really well played and like it takes serious chops to be able to do that. No, I so, I agree with that. I mean, I yeah. like and I like uh what's his face in it? The guy who plays the guitar, Ron, whatever. The guy from RoboCop. Yeah, and uh He's great. And I think he was in like whoops. 
either Total Recall or... He's another. in Total Recall, yeah. Right, right, He's right. the villain in both of the films. So. Right, yeah, yeah. Ronnie Cox. That's it, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's... Okay. All right. JR? I also gave that a three, so... Oh, fuck you guys. <laughs> Teaming up on me. Now I gotta rewatch it for the next episode. <laughs> All right, um... I watched a Netflix Yeah, Mr. Movie. No Rating. Oh, I, I watched it a long time ago before Letterboxd existed. Yes. The la- Probably the last time I watched it was before I had a Letterboxd ah. account. Okay. Sorry, JR. No, I just, uh, I'll just wait for you guys to interrupt me one more time, and then I'll start. Is that... Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Go ahead and start so we can interrupt you. All right, I watched so anyways, a... Kevin, I... Uh... <laughs> yeah, another thing. <laughs> Netflix shirker, Sandy Tan. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> just... I'm just trying to get single oh, words okay. out. Word so. salad. You watch Shirkers. Yeah. I watch Shirkers. Okay. Um, this is on Netflix. Uh, is it? Yeah. It's oh, a I Netflix didn't know it was on. I did not know that. You know what this is? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I heard about it like a year ago, but I didn't know it was on Netflix. Yeah. It's um. I'll it is on watch. Netflix. I'll definitely watch it now. It's really good. It's uh, about Sandy and Sandy Tan, who is a uh, novelist now. Tanning, tanning booth operator. Sandy Tan Stanley. She's a novelist now, <laughs> I think, in California. But she is from Singapore. Sorry, forgot where she's from for a second. She's from Singapore. She grew up in Singapore. And she and her friends set out to make kind of like this indie movie in Singapore in the 1990s, I think 1992. Um, it was like her and a, her two best friends, or best friend and a sort of friend, with this guy named George, who was uh, this American they met who was really weird. And uh, the first half of the documentary is about just them filming this in Singapore. It was, it was something radical there at the time. And uh, the second half is about how George eventually just like takes all the footage and abandons them, flees the country. uh, And they have no way of getting their movie back that they filmed. Um, so yeah, it's all about uh second half is all about trying to find George. And there is a there's a lot of stuff from the movie which was called Shirkers. So obviously you know from the beginning that they get this uh they get this footage back. But um yeah, it just has like I don't like documentaries and this hit kind of all my documentary like pleasure points. It's like it has this punk attitude. It has like a a villain it's mm. like a nice meaty villain um and there's no there's no pretense of objectivity this is like sandy tan was a part of this and she feels very strongly about it and everyone that was involved and she is pretty clear that like yeah i'm making george a villain because he fucking fucked me over hard um and then it's got a long sequence in new orleans like chasing ghosts so I like when people go to New Orleans. Easy Rider. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, this. So the only things that bring this down, the voiceover is just kind of occasionally overwrought. It's not great. And uh, it's probably eight minutes too long. But it's a four out of five. You should check out uh, Top Chef season five. Because for the finale, no. they go to they go to New Orleans. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, New just, Orleans. Okay. Just finished it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. I'll have to check that out. I really did not know it was on Netflix. Speaking of indie movies, JR, 
I saw that you watched Skate Kitchen, but uh, I don't I think did. you talked about it. I didn't. She didn't give a fuck. He's like, <laughs> not good enough. Yeah, not I mean, worth you, talking about. Yeah, I, mean, so, I guess. You know, to our to our loyal listeners, there's a lot of shit that I watch that I don't talk about on this podcast because the podcast would be too long. Right. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Follow him on Letterboxd. Yeah. Well, was it any good? Skate Kitchen, I did not think was very good. Um, Where did you see it? I Netflix, like Blu-ray rental. Oh, okay, cool. And I forgot you do that antiquated Blu-ray <laughs> rental mail thing. Uh, you know, I I love I love skateboarding stuff, which is why I watched it. I'm about to. I think I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch uh, Minding the Gap on Hulu after this. Wow. In fact, but um, the the skateboarding was cool, um, but they're just there. There was like so much plot shit that was just stupid. Mm. Um. And it was, I don't know, it, it's like if someone could take mid-90s with its like lack of plot and mix it with Skate Kitchen with these pretty charismatic, you know, uh, female skaters, that would be awesome. Uh-huh. Because I like them more than the people in mid-90s, but it just, it didn't work out for have me. Have you seen right. All This Mayhem? I have not. Are you just Googling Skate Kitchen? No, 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 no. This is one that I watched and... It's incredible. No, it's a all this mayhem. It's a great, great documentary about a skateboarder, um, a pair of skateboarders. They're brothers, I believe, and uh, it's very, very good. I watched it with my wife a few few years ago. So, if you like skateboarding, and I know you hate documentaries, but this might this might uh, tickle your fancy there, Jr. Yeah. Speaking of documentaries, I uh, I watched Film Worker. Speaking speaking of Netflix documentaries, I watched Film Worker, which is a movie about um, <clears throat> uh, fuck some guy. What is his name? Uh, <laughs> look up his name. Just call him Guy. His name is Leon Vitali, and he uh, was Stanley Kubrick's right hand man for everything uh, from like Barry Lyndon on. And uh, he used to be an actor. He was a British actor, and. He was in a lot of stuff. He had his career was going in the right direction. He was going to be a big star. He was in Barry Lyndon as the stepson who they have the duel. Uh, oh, right. yeah. And, uh, and they fight in the orchestra room and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he met Kubrick on the set, obviously, and he got very, very interested in filmmaking and just like the process of everything. He wanted to know everything about everything. He wanted to know about like the, the film and how to do the cameras and how to color correct and how to edit. And he asked Kubrick if he could sit in on the editing sessions for it. And he said, yes. And he eventually just became like his, uh, you know, like I say, his right hand man, but, but right hand man sounds like he had say in things. He, he was more like a, he was more like his Mary, you know, right. going back to the Culpepper references. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was like a little bitch to Kubrick and we should, I, we should only speak in Culpepper references. Exactly. He did, he did everything uh, Kubrick asked him to do, including like vacuuming the office and things like that. And uh, mm. he worked with him for the rest of his career uh, and is still in charge of a lot of uh, in charge of all the restorations and everything like that. Like when they released, uh, he talked at the very end of the documentary, he talked about, the 4k re-release of 2001 and how he's supervising that and telling him what, what colors they're supposed to use and things like that. Cause he, he's the only one who knows nobody else knows it because <laughs> you know, it was just him and Kubrick doing everything. So, uh, yeah, it, that, that part of it's very interesting. And I mean, overall let's say it's a, you know, it's a fine, fine documentary. It's uh it's not terribly well made. It's pretty cheap looking, but it's an interesting subject and he's very, 
uh, fun to listen to and watch, and he's got a lot of interesting stories. And he's not a dick about any of it. Like, you would think he could come off as such an asshole because he's like, you know, I'm the only one who knows anything about Kubrick anymore. But he's like, he's he's not like that at all. He's like so gracious and humble and everything. And he kind of looks like a retired rock star. He's got like this long ponytail and he wears a bandana and stuff. But he's not a tool at all. He's a mm. nice guy, you know. And uh, they apparently they had the um, the Kubrick exhibit, the the museum thing that was touring. And it went, when it went to, I guess he lives in New York or L.A. I don't remember. I think he lives in L.A. When it went to L.A., he, he would take people there like just as a favor and and walk them through it and explain everything to them and tell them stories and stuff like that, even though they didn't ask him to be a part of it for some reason. Because hmm. like the Kubrick estate doesn't doesn't want him to, to be involved for some reason with anything. But he is involved with all the, the films. So, um, yeah. Is that a, a class thing? It's like it maybe maybe you, uh, you were vacuuming. Yeah, you raised bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh yeah, I it's just like a three and a half. I mean, it's you know, if you got if you got a, a lazy Sunday afternoon and you're not recording a podcast, go home and uh you know, watch Film Worker on Netflix. It's enjoyable. Does that mean we're gonna get a criterion release of two thousand one? Uh I, w- this- I wouldn't doubt it, but I mean it's on four K already. They just right, released yeah, the four K yeah. UHD. Uh right. I could see it happening at some point. I wouldn't right. I don't know what the point of that would be now that it's on 4K. But I, I think Criterion likes releasing his movies. I'm pretty sure it's a guaranteed moneymaker <laughs> well, every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like why they released Michael Bay back in the day. Because yeah. when he was popular, he saw those movies. Yeah. But, um, and like our first episode that got over 100 was Barry Lyndon. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a lot of really good behind-the-scenes footage in this, too. I mean, mm. it's footage that you might have seen before, but it's consolidated here. It's like a lot of behind-the-scenes of Full Metal Jacket and, like, them working with Arlie Army. There's a great sequence, an interview with um, the actor who played the door gunner in Full Metal Jacket, the one who's shooting the civilians, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was supposed to play the drill sergeant originally. Oh. And they're interviewing him now in 2017, I think, and he's still <laughs> he's still bitter about losing out the role. He, he said he worked on his dialogue for eight months, and then Kubrick sent Leon Vitale with a note telling him, we're going we're gonna to go with Harley Army to play the drill sergeant. And he started crying on camera in this movie. Wow. He's like, he couldn't even fucking talk to him. He couldn't even call me on the phone and tell me. <laughs> he, was, he was very upset. But uh, yeah, it's solid, and I mean, just just to in in the interest of time, talk. I'll talk real quick about. Um, I also watched another documentary. I just watched it today, actually, on Hulu called Perfect Bid, and uh, it's about a guy who memorized prices on The Prices Right, and then would go to The Prices Right. He went there like thirty five times or something, and he would yell the prices out to the contestants, and then they would get them, and he helped oh. people win and stuff. Oh. And then he finally got on, and he. He kind of shit the bed a little bit, oh. and then he wasn't allowed to go. Apparently, the rules stated that that's, it was in the '80s when he got on, and then the rules stated that once you once you go on, you can't ever go on again. So he just stopped going to the tapings. Mm. But then they changed the rules to where if if you haven't been on in ten years, you can go back on. So he went back and he tried to get back on, but he didn't get back on. So it's uh, kind of a non-event. But but it was. And then he died. No, he's alive. He, uh. They interview him throughout the film. <laughs> he's and he's an interesting guy. He's a weird. He's got. He, he talks about his time memorizing prices and stuff like it's really interesting and it's it's only a little interesting <laughs> you know he's yeah. he's talking about he like he's a he's like a mathematician so he created a computer program to simulate the show and he would like practice on it and stuff like that wow and he memorized all the different prices it showed like his excel document and like all the different <laughs> like brands and items and prices and it was really interesting that yeah. that part was really interesting but right then it would get into like the history of the show and stuff cuz like clearly they didn't have enough 
material here. <laughs> so they're just like talking about the producer of The Price is Right and they're interviewing him about how the show is. And it's just like, I don't care about this. You right. <laughs> Fluff piece. And they interview Bob Barker, which I thought was interesting. Uh. And he's like, he looks like shit, man. I mean, he's dead now, I think, but he's he looked horrible. I don't think he's dead. Oh, he's dead, bud. Let's look what? it up. I thought he went to the hospital a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what? A couple of weeks ago? <laughs> that could be crazy. Oh, he is alive. Fuck. <laughs> I thought he was dead. Well, he's ninety four. He looks ninety four. I mean, he looks he looks like one hundred and four. He looks awful. His teeth are brown, and he looks like shit. But um, yeah. So uh, you know, it's all right. If you got time, like I say, mm. get a Sunday afternoon. You're bored. Check out uh, Perfect Bid and Filmworker. <clears throat> Kevin. So I watched the De Palma documentary. Mm. And this is another good lazy what afternoon. What is going on? <laughs> well, oh, I, I actually documentaries. It's crazy. I actually meant to talk about it last time, but we ended up talking about other things. But um, like from this, I definitely know that I need to watch m- more of De Palma's movies, and mm. I need to rewatch a bunch of them. Yes, you do. Like it's been. I could have told you that before you watched it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been forever since I've seen Carrie. Um, I haven't seen uh, Sisters um, and, you know, a bunch of other things. Those aren't ones that I would suggest, but those, that's fine. Well, no. <laughs> that's... I mean, I got Blowout in one of the uh, one of the Criterion sales mm-hmm. recently. Blowout's great. Yeah. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, I need to see that. It's an incredible early one. Yeah. And I need – and I still have – been meaning to rewatch the first Mission Impossible. It's great too. Yeah, his I mean, ninety, his eighties and nineties stuff is truly underrated. Like I think people don't even realize he directed some of it. Like Carlito's Way, I think people mm-hmm. don't even realize he directed Carlito's Way. They just think of it as like another Pacino gangster movie. But yeah, people, I mean, people don't realize how good Snake Eyes is. Yeah, Snake Eyes, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's a masterpiece. It's an incredible film. Right, and like it's funny. Like I think of the like new Hollywood people, De Palma is probably like the least mentioned. Oh yeah, nobody talks about De Palma. Well, he's yeah. the only, he's only he's really the only one who's not around anymore. I mean, he's not really doing anything now, except yeah, for I mean, maybe Lucas. But I mean, you know, yeah, I mean Spielberg and Scorsese and yeah. Coppola. And I mean, like, Coppola's not doing anything either. But Coppola won you know multiple Oscars, so he's done. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like. I mean, there was that one thing that De Palma was supposed to be doing about like Harvey Weinstein, but that was like a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah, and haven't haven't heard anything I else know, about that'll it. That'll never happen. Somebody will do uh, that. Some they'll they'll pass it on to some young buck, and it'll come out straight to Netflix. You know? Yeah. How long has it been since that Rachel McAdams movie came out? That was like 2007, wasn't it, or 2008? No. That was when, uh, this decade for sure. P- possession? Yeah, no, not possession. What was it called? Uh, the one with uh, the the other girl from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry if I'm breathing heavy. Let's see. I'm just thinking about that movie. Ooh. <laughs> it's like a Femme Fatale Part 2, you know? What was it called? Mm. Passion. Passion. No, it was 2012. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Even that doesn't feel like it was... That, to me, feels like it was like three years ago. Okay, apparently he's got one completed called Domino. Is it a remake of Domino? Tony uh, Scott? We can only help. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, a Copenhagen police officer seeks justice for his partner's murder by a mysterious man. So, hmm. it's a, a, a movie from the Netherlands. A lot of Netherlands people in it, and Guy Pierce. Hmm. Oh, so yeah, that's uh, that's coming out, I guess. Right, I probably never never here, but yeah, he's got one in pre-production called Sweet Vengeance, and he's got the other. The other one is um, 
the Harvey Weinstein movie, which is unknown. Like, it was really interesting. Like, I'm glad that, like, it was just De Palma talking about his movies. And, um, like, it's, to me at least, it's endlessly fascinating how, like, you know, some movies, like, can't get financing. And then you see other movies that, like, are just pure shit. They don't make any money. And, like, one of the biggest things that you take away from this documentary is that, like, movies don't, like, like, every now and then there's obviously, like, some, like, luck involved. And, like, you know, things can just, you know, go along and get made. But, like, so many of these things absolutely have to have somebody who is pushing it forward through the Hollywood system especially. And, like, you see how much, like, doesn't get made and how much, like, can't get financing. And then you see what does get made. And, like, you got – and it's an old joke, like, who runs the studio this week? But then you, <laughs> like, looking at, like, all of like all of the movies that, like, he tried to make and then ended up being made by, like, other people. And maybe they went places and maybe they didn't, but – like Hollywood is a mess. It's a pure mess. And like that's why he's right for a comeback because Hollywood is not the I mean they're not the ones making the movies anymore. I mean they're yeah, they're yeah. making they're making movies with like six directors. Yeah, and, I mean like you know? honestly like I would like to see De Palma's hand at like some kind of limited series. Yeah, it'd be great. To, I think I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think honestly like most film directors like yeah, sure, some will be great at movies and might just be shit at miniseries or limited events. But, like, now is the time to get into that. He just needs a patron. He just needs somebody to say, you know, okay, you can, here, here's money, do do your thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, hire, a, hire a screenwriter, make a, like, make a film, do it. And, uh, unfortunately, those, those kinds of people only, you know, they want these... Art house goons like P.T. Anderson. No, I'm just kidding. I like P.T. Anderson, but you know, doesn't doesn't I'm happen Gene. for this guy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Doesn't happen for this guy. You know. Yeah. People don't respect him. They look at him as a genre filmmaker, and they don't yeah. think of him as artistic. And it's the same way. It's like, I think they make that comparison too in the in the documentary about Hitchcock. You know, Hitchcock yeah, is yeah. He's looked at the same way during his career, and now he's retroactively is a you know a great artist or everything. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, time. retroactively yeah. an auteur. He makes he makes schlock when he was alive, you know. But now yeah, it's I mean, brilliant. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Yeah. That schlock was often nominated for best picture, though. Oh, was it? Yeah. 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 Did it win? Very rarely. I rest my case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, was Untouchables up for best picture? Feels like it might have been. I think so. I don't. I just made that up. <laughs> that was another like really interesting thing about him, like, like, uh, like especially on Untouchables, talking about De Niro not learning his lines, mm-hmm. and uh, like I expected that when he was talking about Orson Welles in one of the first couple of movies that he made, because by that time Orson Welles, like, you know, was beyond caring, but like De Niro has the, um, you know, because of the. What you call it? Um, that acting method that he does. 
method acting. Yeah, the Stanislavski or whatever. Yeah, the the method acting. <laughs> the thing. Russian shit that he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Russian shit. Yeah. Because of that, like you know, De Niro has this aura of like you know getting things right, I guess, and like sure. Yeah, and like Jodie Foster was saying, like when they were rehearsing Taxi Driver, he made her rehearse it like over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And then when they got it pitch perfect every time, then they could start messing around with it. But in this, he's like not even bothering. He doesn't give a fuck. This yeah, is a, I mean, just a paycheck. You know? I guess. I mean, he's just doing a favor for old Bry. Right. Who uh, gave him his start? Exactly. It was nominated for four for Oscars. One Sean Connery uh, best supporting, and then it was also nominated for art direction, costume design, and Ennio Morricone's score got nominated, but did not win, which is a fucking travesty. Mm. Morricone should win every time he's nominated. Very very few Oscar noms for uh, Brian De Palma movies. Oh yeah, shameful. Because they suck. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're waiting. Waiting on JR. All right. Uh, watch Burning. Burning is a Korean movie. Came out this year by Lee, Lee Chong Dong. And uh, are you Go laughing because no. I nope. said nope. his name? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Not laughing. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, this is about... Uh, this kind of this guy working odd jobs. He's a young guy runs into a childhood acquaintance uh, who's also just kind of floating through jobs. Uh, they strike up a very quick friendship, some sort of romantic relationship, possibly. And uh, then when the acquaintance, this girl, says that she's going to travel around Africa for a little bit, she asks uh, our main guy if. She will come to her house every day, her apartment, and uh, feed her cat. And uh, he agrees. And uh, then shit gets pretty weird. Toxoplasmosis? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, she comes back from Africa. She comes back with a friend named Ben. Ben is really rich and wealthy as fuck. And uh, Sugar daddy. Good for her. Mm. Just Get it, girl. And then he is he is weird. And um, now, when you say weird, weird, okay, when you say shit gets weird and he is weird, are we talking like surrealistic elements, or are we saying he's just like, like a he's eccentric or what? I, I'm saying that we never know what his deal is. We never know what he is thinking. Ben and or the other ben. guy? Okay. And then a lot of weird things happen around Ben. Okay. And I don't know if they're surreal, but I also don't want to give away. I understand much else wow. because this came out this year and you guys should fucking watch it. Cause I might good. Um, have you seen other, uh, other of Dong's work? I have. Yeah. Is um, it good? Yes. What else did he do? Oasis. I don't seen. think I've heard of that. Came out in 2002 ish. Mm. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, this is uh it's pretty quiet for much of the movie and, You'd probably be forgiven for calling the first 40 minutes of it slow. But, uh, man, this movie just kind of slowly morphs into something very uh, tense, mm. very cool, very atmospheric. And it's uh, based on a Haruki Murakami story, if you guys know. Murakami, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I have one of his books. Wind Up Bird Chronicle? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's the one. 
I read uh, chapter one of it. Never got back to it. Congratulations. <laughs> it's good. This uh, this movie reminded me of reading a Murakami book. Mm. With you know, a lot of his books are kind of kind of cold, like very detached yet casual strangeness. Um, yeah. So I like his books. Out. I like his stories, and I like this movie four and a half. Mm. Four and a half out of five. The five is so elusive for Jr. You know, as it uh, should be. I, mean, I guess not for me. It's not for me. I mean, you I see a movie you love, it, it's five stars. Yeah, you know, you, know, you just like give all of the movies that exist fives. I get it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't give anything five this week, but yeah. All right, go ahead, sir. Watched. I've been. Uh, you know, I'm just a Wikipedia hound at work. <laughs> so uh, get my kids doing something. Got a little free time during class. Crack open a Wikipedia page. Read the entire thing. Right. So I was reading about um, people who have vanished mysteriously. There's a whole page on them. Just, mm. just you know, cases of people vanishing mysteriously. And it led, led me to another page, which was uh, unidentified dead bodies. So they find, like, a dead body. They don't know who it is. And it's, like, mm-hmm. mysterious, you know? Very interesting to me. And I read about this guy, Peter Bergman, uh, who was found naked dead on a beach in Scotland, I believe. And... Uh, in like a little, like nothing, like a little tourist town, you know? And, uh, some guy made a documentary of it called the last days of Peter Bergman. And it's on Vimeo and it's about 15 minutes long. And, uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty good. You don't learn anything new that you didn't already know on the, uh, reading the Wikipedia page, but you get to see the images of the guy, which is very creepy and disturbing. And you get to maybe like, you know, you watching me, you're inferring like, what is he What is he doing there? What's he trying to do? You know? Cause he's just like, He's just, I don't know, he's like a normal looking guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's weird that he's <clears throat> going about town, throwing away his possessions a little bit at a time. He keeps, uh, he bring he comes in with suitcases, he leaves without the suitcases, like shit like that. Just like weird shit, you know? So mm-hmm. it's a good little thing if you want to Google it and check it out. And then I watched uh, Boy Erased, which is the new Joel Edgerton picture, mm-hmm. um, starring Joel Edgerton, written and directed by Joel Edgerton and his brother. And I liked Gif, The Gift quite a bit. Did you see The Gift? Um, this is uh, Joel Edgerton's first film starring him and Jason Bateman. Uh, and I liked it. I thought it was a really good thriller, really interesting, very, very dark. But this is uh, based on a, on a memoir by a kid who went to a gay conversion camp. And uh, it's just so Oscarbation, you know. They yeah. want that Oscar so bad, and it's just falls short on almost every level <clears throat> it's got the cast you know the big cast the 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 it guy right now lucas hedges plays the gay kid uh his dad of course russell crowe you know mm, as big, doing big guy big yeah. guy big yeah, cast. Yeah. yeah doing his big doing his best uh texas accent oh nicole kidman plays his mom uh which cringeworthy in the trailers but actually she's probably one of the better people in the film mm. and uh edgerton while his direction is competent, it's not great, and the movie is not good at all, mm. Edgerton is fantastic in it as mm. the conversion camp pastor guy who's converting, trying to convert the kids from being gay into straight again. And, uh, you know, guilting them, guilting the fuck out of them. You know, right. God God doesn't love you as long as you're gay and this kind of stuff like that. <laughs> uh, really, really interesting scenes like that. But then... Kind of goes nowhere. Facts. Mm. Doesn't get to, uh, doesn't get like, 
doesn't boil hot, hard enough. You know what I mean? To right. where, to to get to the conclusion that it gets to where there's like kind of this big moment of like screaming and melodramatic stuff. You know, melodrama, and it, it's just it doesn't it doesn't quite earn that in my opinion. Mm. And uh, you know, so and then there's like a coda on the film where it's years later and Lucas Hedges is an adult now living with his husband or his boyfriend or whatever and trying to make things right with his dad and that sort of works because Russell that's where Russell Crowe gets the, that's where his <laughs> that's where his best performance comes in uh. but it's still not that great and uh yeah overall just you know had to give it a two and Lucas Hedges I'll tell you I love the guy in uh, Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. I liked him in uh Lady Bird even though I didn't like Lady Bird but he is not great in this uh, oh yeah that's... I don't know he's Oh, oh, I don't know if it's just the writing or if he didn't. He just very flat, very weird choices sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's got some good moments in the trailer, but they're few and far between in the actual film. Right. He's got this really embarrassing moment where he says, uh, "He says fuck you to a uh, an advertisement of a guy with a shirt off." He sees him and he's like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> it's like, what is uh, interesting though? You you know who's in this? Hmm. Xavier Dolan. Hmm. Is in the movie. He's a, a French Canadian director of queer cinema. Okay. You know? <laughs> oh, Jared doesn't like his movies. Well, that's that's neither here nor there. Not most yeah. of them. Anyway, uh, yeah. So that's a two. Don't 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 waste your time with Boyer. I think they think that like they're they're making a movie. It's commendable to make a movie about this subject, which it is. But it's like that doesn't you know like you can't just get by on that. Well, we're making a movie about this thing and we're bringing attention to it, so it's good. It's not good. It's bad. Bad movie. You know, maybe a good. Maybe <laughs> maybe a good thing bad. to do. But bad movie. Yeah. You tell bad that, movie. You tell that movie how to exactly. act. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the boss of you. Yeah. I would I think love that's the to biggest never... thing about issue movies. Like they mm-hmm. focus solely on the issue instead of actually making a good movie. That's like you don't need to make. Honestly. If anything, I know this is impossible, but they should have made a, a documentary about a, a conversion camp would be fascinating. Because then you see the actual what it is instead of seeing this recreation of it. But it's like obviously, you know, these people aren't going to let cameras into their into their weirdo, you know, brainwashing. I mean, camps. You, there's a movie like Jesus Camp. Yeah, which right, is yeah. but that but that see that's that's the kind of thing that's great and that's a, I love Jesus Camp, but. It, the reason those people let the cameras in is is because they don't think they're doing anything, you know they don't see they're not they're probably right. not assuming anybody's going to get have any problem with this you know no, just having praising the Lord you know but they Jesus you're the, right the people who are converting these gay kids are trying to convert the gay kids are they know that it's not looked upon well yeah. by a lot of people you you're know? right you're right it's like Scientology like yeah they don't think they're doing anything wrong but they know that other people don't agree <laughs> you know they're not going to let cameras into their yeah. blue building in L A. Real quick, before we move on, uh, sure. I want to go back to the Wikipedia pages. Oh, yeah, the, sure. Uh, unidentified bodies. Have you read the page about the uh, like the disembodied feet and hand discoveries in the Salish Sea? Where is the Salish it's, Sea? It's like uh, Washington State and Canada. I feel like I've heard about that in the news, but I never actually, I don't think I read the page on it. No. Like over the past 120 years, like okay. several disembodied feet have just like washed up on the shores. JR, you know, I'm always looking for more. Okay. Oh, so yeah, I'll send you that later. It's great. Please do. It's great. Cause I will read that. I read the entire page of the Chicago fire. It's like, it's seriously like 20 pages, but it's, you know, one long scrolling page. Right. And I mean, it's really fascinating to read about how it just annihilated Chicago 
And I read about like H.H. H. Holmes, you know, the serial killer who was in Chicago. Like you, you read one page about one thing and then it leads you to all these other things. It's just fantastic. Wikipedia fucking rules. <laughs> Chicago. Chicago's got a lot of great stuff on Wikipedia. Yeah. Killer. man, Killer. <laughs> a lot of killer stuff. Yeah. Like H.H. H. Holmes, he's a killer. Man. Yeah. yeah. Kill people. They're making a movie about that. The Devil in the White City or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, DiCaprio yeah, yeah. and Scorsese, supposedly. Who knows when that'll happen. That was a pretty cool book. I didn't read it, but, uh, mm. you know, I kind of want to. Read read some books. I know, right? It feels good when you finish one. <laughs> Believe me, I know. You know, the last <laughs> book I finished was uh, Rum Punch, the Elmore Leonard novel that Jackie Brown is based oh, on. Right. And I, Sorry, I immediately thought Rum Diaries. And I was like, no. Oh. read it two summers ago when I was teaching summer school and finished it in the middle of a day when I was teaching summer school, and it did feel great. I was like, yes, this is great. I'm going to move on to the next one. I just never read anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read two books that summer, and I was like, God, I'm, I'm really on a roll here. I'm reading books here. <laughs> yeah. so I don't have any time. Now that I have a kid, I really don't have time to read books. Right, yeah. yeah. But you I, don't. I barely have time to watch these movies. I had to watch this movie today, the uh, the perfect bid movie. I watched it while she was taking a nap. You know, she's got to take more naps. <laughs> I know, right? Got to give her some Benadryl. Kevin, I was trying to find the name of the actual story. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk's last short story collection makes something up. He has a short story about some kids in a gay conversion camp. Oh, and there's like, um, like it gets definitely a lot more hardcore than yeah. Then oh, because like there's like a dead body on a slab, and they're explaining oh Jesus things about it, and yeah, I don't know about that. A, yeah, well, I mean it's Chuck Pollan. No, no, so. sure, of course, yeah, yeah. Chuck, Chucky P always goes, goes a little too far. Uh, I forgot to mention or, or also yeah. In Boy Erased, uh, Flea is in it. Turns really? in, turns in a, a remarkable performance actually as a kind of like drill instructor type guy that they bring in to teach the gay kids uh. how to be manly. Interesting. He's like doing push-ups and shit, and it's right. it's pretty interesting. I've been mean, there was a movie that he was in and like produced not too long ago with um like John Hawks is the star of it, and it's about like some jazz oh, musician. From, yeah, like, I the saw 60s. that. I saw that. I need what's to it, I need to look that up. Uh, that was okay. Um, God, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I'm not telling you not to see it. It's it was worth seeing. Yeah. but well, uh, it's funny. Like there's one with John Hawks, and then there's one that Ethan Hawke was in. So like I guess jazz biopics were a thing. The Ethan Hawke one. The Ethan Hawke one was about the famous trumpet guy. What's the his name? Blue, the blue eyes guy. I don't yeah, know. yeah. I forget right, his name. Right. That one that you're talking about is called Lowdown. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Lowdown was okay. We, me and my wife, must have watched the trailer like ten times. We were obsessed. We had to see it, so we okay. watched it. And uh, Glenn Close is really good in it. And oh. uh, you know, Elle Fanning's all right, and John Hawks is good. So cool. Yeah, it's it's all right. All right. I think it has uh, Peter Dinklage in it, too. Oh, cool. Let's see. Well, continuing on with uh, short stories, I rewatched The Man Who Would Be King. Short story by Rudyard Kipling, directed by John Huston, starring Sean Connery and Michael Caine as ex-British soldiers who are looking to make it rich by pretending to be gods and taking over a country. That sounds great. Yeah, and <laughs> Christopher Plummer playing Rudyard Kipling. And it's not great, but it's a lot of fun. Like, I think, like, now, obviously, it would be problematic because, you know, they're British soldiers pretending to be God. Well, Sean Connery pretends to be a god, and, like, you know, they're taking advantage of natives and that kind of thing and, you know, British colonialism and whatever. 
but you know it's an, an adventure story and you really feel the adventure of it and just having Sean Connery and Michael Caine the two greatest accents in in film and them constantly Gotcholy trousers or Gotcholy trousers <laughs> back to back impressions yes <laughs> well yeah and uh they've done it on at least on uh like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz in the um the supplements um Simon Pegg and Nick Frost will do like the man who would be Sean or like uh, I forget what it was called in Hot Fuzz, but like they would redo scenes with the accents oh, on the voices. They make fun of uh, Michael Caine and Sean Connery's accent a lot in those um, the Steve Coogan movies where they go to the, the, the trips, trips. Yeah, yeah, the trip and the trip to Italy and all that. Yeah, because yeah, they're really Michael like, Caine. Yeah, really like deconstruct, yeah. deconstructing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, good movies. Although, I, like, I've been meaning to watch like forever. Like, the movies themselves are like a mishmash of like a longer series, mm-hmm. and I've been meaning to watch those forever. Not forever, but you know, a couple of. Years. I think I, the la- I think the trip like the trip to Spain is just a movie though. No, is it an is actual it? series I also? I don't know. I'll, I'll have sure. to look it up. I was surprised at how worthy of my time all of those are i just i did not think they would be any good oh yeah i mean yeah what a way to really entertain how worthy of my time they were. <laughs> i'm too special for the for yeah, most like, films but like two, yeah. two guys i gotta get riffing. through these olympic documentaries from criteria yeah <laughs> now i do have a way of sounding like a dick but uh i don't know, just I don't uh, the idea of like two guys riffing while eating fancy meals was like fuck this but it, was, <laughs> it was hilarious yeah all three all three were hilarious also I agree the man who would be king a lot of fun yes a lot of fun I'll check it out at some point yeah JR how many how many more do you guys have I'm just gonna talk about one more thing same here okay then I will uh, combine I'll just mention give a kind of a shout out to these two movies because it's two more 2018 uh, U.S. releases that you should watch. Uh, Lucretia Martel's latest, Zama, um, about a Spanish general in like a little South American colony just trying to get back to his home in Buenos Aires. And a bureaucracy is keeping him, keeping him in the shit. Um uh, it is a really, it's another kind of weird movie. Martel is great at just kind of making everything feel a little off kilter with her weird compositions. She did The Headless Woman. Anyone seen The Headless Woman? Mm-mm. No, these are not English language movies, so fuck you guys. That's why we haven't seen yeah. them. English only. Fuck subtitles. Well, you're you're our foreign expert, I yeah. guess. You're yeah. a foreign guy, man. But I might... I can't do my job if you won't watch any of the good foreign movies. Well, I want you guys to watch more comedies and animations, but... <laughs> and I'm sure John would like us to watch more stuff with violence. And... <laughs> that's not me. Well, you are kind of the resident violence expert. Uh, well, that, that's one thing, but that doesn't mean that that's right, right. Well, all I like. I know, I know. Guy. <laughs> I know. The Venn diagrams do overlap, but, you know. So, uh... Zama is on DVD. It probably will be at the library soon. I think they have the rest of her stuff, like the La Cienaga and the Headless Woman. 
And uh, this other one I caught on movie, they're doing a retrospective of this French weirdo director, F.J. Osang. And uh, I watched his, they like premiered his new movie called Nine Fingers. And I just could not figure out what the fuck I was watching. It was just like too enigmatic. I was like, you're just, you're not going to explain a goddamn thing to me. And he didn't. Uh, but then I watched two of his other movies that they put out a little bit later, or like that movie put out a little bit later, but they're earlier. And uh, I kind of found myself just kind of getting into the groove with them, even though they're pretty similar. So I went back and watched Nine Fingers and uh, just kind of let it wash over me. I still don't know what it all means, but if I could just, I'm going to describe to you the first 10 minutes. I wrote out the first 10 minutes. A man at a train stop flees some cops doing ID checks. He happens upon a dying man on the beach who then hands him a giant wad of cash. He is then chased by a gang because of this cash. And finally, uh, in this first 10 minutes, he is accepted as a contributing member of this gang and is involved in their latest heist plan. Then the, Sounds great. Then the heist, yeah, then the heist goes wrong and uh, the gang takes refuge on a ship. And uh, the ship wanders about at sea, and that's the next hour. <laughs> so pacing pacing is a little strange in this one. Hmm. Uh, but I, uh, on second viewing, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, nothing is conventional. There is no exposition, like I said. It's got a very, like, noirish feel. It also has, like, a very silent cinema type feel. So it kind of reminds me of, like, Guy Madden stuff, but much less playful. And not doing as much with uh, like the silent camera effects, just more like silent uh, framing and a silent set design mm. or German expressionist set design. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, Zom is a three and a half. Nine Fingers is a four. I was wondering why you rated that twice. <laughs> yeah, nine, nine re- fingers. rewatched it. Yeah, cool. A nutcase, man, rewatching shit. All right, um, <clears throat> like I well, within, like within a day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. A couple. Of, I mean, again, I just, I, after watching those other movies of his, I was like, I just, I don't think I was in the right headspace. Let me try this again. Must be nice okay. to have all that free time, Jr. It's great. Yeah, um, love it. <laughs> so I watched uh, Making a Murderer season two. Just finished it a couple of, well, maybe last weekend actually, but um. Not not as uh not quite as compelling as season one. Still compelling though. A lot of new information. Have you guys watched this at all? The first season? No. I've heard of it, but I've just never no, gotten the fuck around is to the point of talking about it Wait, then. Sorry, right. my, my wife just texted me, What are we talking about? Making a murder. <laughs> I have seen this. Oh, okay. But she was asking what we were talking about? No. Oh. She just gave me a, a command to do something. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have seen first season. Yes. Second season? No. Okay. Well, uh, like I say, at, not as compelling, but still compelling. And uh, a lot of good blood spatter analysis on this one. Uh, they introduced this new uh, character. I mean, I say character. You know, this new subject, uh, the, mm. lo- the new lawyer who's working pro bono for Stephen Avery. And she's gotten like 19 people exonerated of false charges before. Wow. Wow. So it's looking good for him. And uh, a lot of stuff, uh, interesting twists happen. Some turns out a lot of a lot of information is revealed. That if it was revealed in the first one, it's like 
I don't know, man, it changes things quite a bit. You know, like if you come out of the first one thinking, you know, there's no way these guys did it. They totally planted evidence, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you don't realize that there's like pieces of this woman's body are like miles away also. Like, and there's like this, the dogs have tracked where her body went and they, they ran all around this other person's property. And it's like, I mean, what happened here? It's just so fucking mysterious. I love it. But, um, I remember reading about how, um, the first season of making murder definitely is not a piece of objective. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, they're trying to make it there. It's a, what do they call it? A, um, a bullshit documentary. No, 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 (laughs) not quite that far. It's, you know, it's, it's meant to show that Avery is wrongly convicted regardless Mm. of what the actual facts might show. And I mean, I think if nothing else, you come out of it both seasons, and I don't think anybody could argue that Brendan Dassey is innocent. I mean, or not, or guilty rather. He's definitely not guilty. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this kid did not do anything. (laughs) And there, I've I've, since the first season came out, there have been a lot more news articles about like Brendan Dassey's uh, going back to retrial. Well, yeah, because he's well, his appeals are going. His appeals were working really well. They talk about that in the documentary. There's a lot of frustration there, but. It's pretty solid, and if you have 10 hours to dedicate to it, I would suggest it. Uh, actually, another... more like 11 and a half hours, because there's a couple episodes that are an hour and a half. Mm. I It's incredible they took like a fucking decade to make the 10-hour right? first season. Yeah. And this one does feel a little bit like they... Well, there's a little bit of filler in it. There's a lot of stuff of like them just filming like his parents walking around and doing stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> what are you gonna do? You gonna wait ten more years? You know, you gotta yeah. Netflix right, needs their right. money. They they're they're in debt to the banks a lot here. I, I will watch this eventually. I also watched the first episode of Escape at Danamora, which is the new uh the miniseries on Showtime with Benicio del Toro and Paul Dano and Patricia Arquette mm. directed by Ben Stiller. I saw a picture <laughs> right. of Paul Dano. Yeah, it's just like jacked as fuck. He looks great. It's, it's uh, crazy. I'll say that just based on the first episode, this is, uh, if nothing else, extremely high quality material you're looking at here. Mm. Extremely well made. Extremely well acted. Nice. Uh, very very good so far. So looking forward to the rest of it. I mean, Benicio is just <laughs> the guy. Fuck, this guy is good. I Seriously love underrated. He does fuck. <laughs> That guy yeah, fucks. Totally. Yeah, totally. For totally. sure. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on, I guess. Yeah. Moving on. One, one did, more. Oh, you had yeah. another one. I'm sorry. Um, I rewatched Snow White and the Seven Dwarves this morning. One of my final projects for school was doing a... Did we watch web... Disney movies? Well, no. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, make, making a Pathfinder about a particular subject. So pulling together a bunch of resources on a topic. So hmm. I did History of Animation... And so, like one of one, you know, when it comes to animation, you gotta mention Disney. You gotta mention Warner Brothers and the Looney Tunes and all that stuff. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I need to rewatch Snow White because it's been forever since I've seen it, and it's decent, not amazing, but you know, I mean, for what for what it was at the time, I'm sure you know it was pretty fantastic so. i don't believe i've ever seen it to be honest with you yeah. i don't think i've ever seen any of the classics uh anything before little mermaid hmm 
I mean, I, I would definitely that odd. But... I would definitely say watch Sword in the Stone because that's my favorite Disney movie of all time. Most people would not say that. No, they Just wouldn't. So you know, I, I t- most people I, would probably say like, especially our age, it would be that late eighties. Well, that's when I, when I was a yeah. kid. That's what we you know we were kids when it came out, so that's what we watched. Right. Yeah. We didn't watch old shit, and this is before you could just go down and rent them at iTunes or right. You know, the clamshells were expensive, so yeah. so that's. My I, my parents did show us all the old shit, and I not my parents are not movie people, but like we watched Cinderella a lot and mm. Bambi a lot. Mm. We and watched now, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast also. Sure, right. Yeah, but, I was I was th- I'm thinking of it now, and I I feel like I may have seen Bambi, and I definitely watched Fantasia at some point, but I yeah, I've yeah. definitely never seen like Cinderella or Snow White or Sword in the Stone or The Black Cauldron or any of that stuff. Well, The Black yeah. Carl- Cauldron is terrible, but most of them are. <laughs> it's not terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. I think, it, I, and I wanted I wanted so badly to like it, but I. Uh, Kevin's so mad now. <laughs> I'm not mad because like not like terrible. Well, no, he shares the opinion of just about 98 percent of the world. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's not great by any stretch of the imagination. But I can appreciate a lot of the stuff that's in it. Sure, like especially like all the different styles of animation and like there's rotoscoping in there too. I love rotoscoping. Like, and there's a little. And there's like some meshing with live action stuff too. And like. The story is absolute shit. Oh, that's another because one. Because they I, just they just took two two books and just crashed them together. Right. Yeah. And I never saw uh the other one either, the Mary Poppins movie. Never saw that. Mary Poppins I didn't think so much of, but Bedknobs and Broomsticks, that's the one to watch. That's a movie and I've even heard of that. Angela so. Lansbury okay. and uh David Tomlinson from uh Mary Poppins. Okay. So you should watch them. You should watch everything we just mentioned. The only thing that I'm actually, I mean, I, I will eventually because my wife owns them all and we have a daughter. But uh, <laughs> but at some at some point, I really, really want to watch Dumbo. That's like the main one I want to watch. Yeah. Main, two reasons. One, it's insanely short. And two, uh, David Mamet says the perfect film. So Mamet rules. <laughs> it, Interesting. They're, like until the, the 50s or 60s, they, they're pretty short. Mm. Like Bambi is short. Yeah, like uh, Snow, Snow White's, White's only like 80-something minutes. Pinocchio is 70-something. They're all they're I think short. Dumbo is like 61 minutes, though. That's, that's the kind of short I'm yeah, talking about, yeah. guys. Okay, let's get it straight here. Anyway, moving on. It's almost 5 o'clock here. We haven't even talked about oh, Black right. Robe. So uh, this is uh, Kevin's deep dive pick, Black Robe, 91, directed by Bruce Beersford, starring no one. Uh, Not really, no. <laughs> Billy Two Rivers is in this. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never seen so many names on a letterbox thing that I don't recognize. I know, right? right. Yeah, which is I, I, it's kind of crazy to me because after watching it, I feel like you know, especially the two um, French guys, yeah, the two French characters, those actors, I feel like uh, could have gone on to do things. I mean, they're certainly. I mean, they did. They you look yeah, at their yeah, IMDb yeah. and it's full up, but they're not. They're not, clearly they're not names or anything. And this they, is yeah, yeah. this is after Beersford. Has like a best picture winner. This is after Driving Miss Daisy, right? So like yeah. he could have he could have put people in it if he wanted to. I think sure. Yeah, He's, that, that that's what makes him a genius. Casting this with nobodies. I'm not willing to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, why you would pick this movie? So I remember seeing the cover for this movie in Blockbuster quite a bit, but I didn't actually see it until I was. 
in my senior year at LSU last semester, and I was in a seminar class about um, natives' reactions to missionaries. And, Perfect film for that class. Yeah, and like the second <laughs> second class, we watched we watched this movie, and then next the next week we talked about it, and like I've seen it a couple of times since then, and I don't know. This is a movie like every time I watch it, I. <coughs> I feel something different about what I'm taking away from it. And I think that's one of the more interesting things about the movie. Like, cause I can remember having, you know, one opinion about it and then watching it again and having a slightly different one. And then this third time having a very different opinion, but also might be similar to the other ones that I had. And just really quick, maybe a synopsis for our listeners. Right. So Father Laforgue is a French priest, and he is in New France, which is Canada. And he is getting trying to get to this Catholic mission where he's going to kind of take over for the aging priest. And he needs the help of the Indians that are up there to get him there safely because there are a lot of other tribes that won't welcome him and you know it's safe to it's not safe to travel by yourself and so while he's up there traveling he runs into a lot of different things and starts to question his faith starts to question the indians and there's another French guy there too who is also questioning because even though he's not a priest he's been raised as a catholic and he sees the natives as being more Christian than the Christians. So the whole movie really gives you an interesting look at different cultures and how they approach faith. Excellent, excellent synopsis, Kevin. Uh, well, what everybody uh, think of this? How many times have you seen this? This is probably the fourth time now. Okay. Um, I wasn't here last episode. I have seen this before. Ah. Uh, would that have changed your pick? Maybe. I mean, I'm really, can I just say, regardless of what I may or may not give this movie, really glad you picked this because it's been a long time too. since I watched it mm-hmm. and, uh, I haven't watched it in it's probably been 10 years since I've seen it. Oh, and, okay. uh, yeah, I'm, I was, I'll just say, I'll just give, I'll go ahead and start yeah. my, uh, I've heard about this movie. Don't remember how, but. Definitely, like, wanted to see it really badly. I was like, this sounds great. It's, like, Indians and shit during, like, you know, the Beaver Wars and all that. You know, so I'm like, I'm really, I'm down because I'm, like, Last of the Mohicans rules. So I want that again. It's from the same time period cinematically. It's probably going to look similar. It's going to have those great sequences of... uh, Tomahawk kills and scalpings and shit and muskets blowing balls through people's fucking hearts. It's going to be amazing. And then I watched it and, uh, you know, it is not that movie at all. Like it doesn't it's have kind of the antithesis yeah, exactly. of that. It doesn't have any of that. It's like how you must have felt watching deliverance. It's not an action movie. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, I was pretty disappointed with it on that level. You, you all right? <laughs> He's gonna sneeze. Sorry. This brings so much attention to himself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, was did not appreciate it in that way. And what's weird to me is uh, watching it now with how 
how much it goes into all these these really good debates about Christianity and faith and like you said how he talks about how the uh the Indians are more Christian than we are, you know, cause they share everything and all this mm. kind of, they love everybody and, or they love them each other and all this kind of stuff. I was like, that's all really interesting. I don't know why that didn't get me before. Cause when I watched this movie before I was religious. So that, I would think that would like actually have affected me more, but it seemed to affect me more this time watching it. Like I enjoyed those scenes way more, you know, I didn't even remember them. And now they're just I was watching. I was like, that's great stuff. And, um, I thought, you know, as far as the uh, film itself goes, uh, it definitely doesn't look great. Mm. But, again, that's because of the quality of the picture that you're downloading, I think. I'm sure it would look a lot better if, you know, somebody got a hold of the negative and rescanned it into, two, like, did a 2K scan or something and released it on Criterion. But Yeah, because, like, the DVD, I was, like, really taken aback this time mm. watching it because I was like, ooh. Yeah, where are all the colors? Right, and I mean, uh, <coughs> I like is, how I like how winter. Yeah, exactly. Also. That's true, and it's that's, almost that's true. But but it's it's still it's like most of the movie is so muted, and I don't know if that's on purpose. I think it is a little bit. I mean, I, it's definitely like bleak. I mean, it's a mm. the it's there's nothing happy going on in this movie, really. Yeah, which is weird because there are like moments that feel almost comedic. Yeah, uh, especially among the Indians when they're like moments where it shouldn't be funny, but they're like when they talk about torturing them, just how matter of fact they are. Like, right. Tomorrow we're going to skin them alive, you know, and they're just chilling out, you know. Yeah. Just having a sauna. And uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I thought all those scenes worked really well. The, the really, really intense when they cut his finger off with the oyster shell. That yeah, shit that was ruled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love his reaction to it. Just no gives him nothing, you know. Yeah, I love yeah. the I love all that kind of stuff too. Like the Indian guy knowing how to deal with them. He's like, don't scream when they torture you because, you know, if you do, they'll get your soul. And yeah, yeah. how that means one thing to the Indians. Yeah, they're gonna get your soul. But to the to them, it more means like you know, I've dishonored myself if I scream. Like, or I, oh, I won't give them the satisfaction of screaming. You know. Yeah. Or like, and, uh, you know, you suffer for the faith. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're you gotta be a martyr, right? So yeah. uh loved all that stuff. Uh when there was violence, which is that it's one scene where there's yeah, a yeah. good action sequence and I thought it was fine, you know, could have been directed better. I think the direction in this is hit and miss. Uh yeah, he's, he's definitely agree. got some weird choices of like the shots that he chooses sometimes are really kind of strange. Yeah, like the one like especially like with the arrow through the neck. Yeah. Like yeah, that yeah. that could have been done a yeah, lot better. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. But I do love that's that's another part of that I love is that woman gets shot with that arrow and the guy just walks right through the battle to get to her so we can give her the last rites. Right. And it's like yeah. It's an amazing moment because it's like, yeah, that guy's like, you're like, man, this guy's, it's really heroic almost what he's doing. Yeah, but then it's yeah. at the same time, it's like, but he's really like, he's fucking with her in a, in a very real way because he's inflicting his religion on her without right. her permission. And, you know, and it's like, she, she might not want that to happen. Right. I do. Like, Religious sorry. rape. Go ahead. <laughs> like, that was one of the questions that I always have when I'm watching the movie. Like, my... I don't know if it's uh, Bluto's performance or if it's the direction or, or what, but, like, I always wonder if he, you know, because we have a idea about missionaries being, like, really pompous mm. and, you know, like, oh, these poor heathen savages, they're so lucky that we came along and, you know, we're going to wash out their religion and give them the one true God. But with 
Father Lafour, it's like, I don't know if he's like, sometimes it seems like he is kind of being pompous, but then most of the time it seems like he really does like, he believes so much in his own faith that he really does want the best for them. Well, he just, and, and they think, I think that's the way it is. And they just yeah, think yeah. that the best is Christianity, right? I mean, right. I yeah. He yeah. Is. He believes that the best is Christianity. Right. So it's not like, you know, oh, these poor people, I'm here to save them. It's, I just want to help these people. I want to give them paradise. Yeah, he talks about that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you die, you need to go to paradise. I can help you. Yeah, get he's there. really like, if you genuine. Accept God's love. About it. You can go yeah. to paradise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is contrasted a little bit with uh, with the bishop that sends him on this mm. journey, and also with the uh, the father in uh, in the flashback when he's yeah, in France, yeah. and also the the last <laughs> remaining missionary at the Huron camp. Mm. All, yeah, yeah. all of them refer to the uh, the First Nations as wildlings or savages, and Bluto does, or uh, Father Lafour does also at least once. But mm. he does seem to have like a compassion that is not shared with the rest. Well, yeah, and he's also fathers. Yeah. He also argues with the guy in the the last guy that yeah. he runs into because the guy wants to baptize them simply to keep them from killing them right <laughs> he just wants to right. trick them and say yeah if we, if we give you the baptism it's going to cure you right yeah, and yeah. father Forg is saying that's no, that's not necessarily true so we don't we shouldn't say that you yeah because like and especially like you know spoiler alert like when he finally gets to the mission and like sees the state of it and talks to the father like he's gone through all of this hell and then it's not the perfect mission that he thought it was going to be and like the guy that he's trying is supposed to take over for has totally lost his faith and is just trying to, you know, make it through the day until, you know, he finally passes and it's like, you know, yeah, it's like the ultimate like test of your faith. Like forget Job. Like this, <laughs> like this is it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an intense journey that they, yeah. they all go on. Yeah. Mm. I, um, one of my favorite things about this movie is that it, it, Go. It makes sure to never establish that, uh, like this, the Jesuit faith or the Jesuit mission is a worthy objective. Mm. Like we are never meant to think that this is like a great idea, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is good because I could see. Well, movie. it's clearly not. It's it's not a film that's. What I was trying to think of earlier is activist. It's not an activist film. It's not right, saying it's not yeah, saying that yeah. Jesuits are like Christianity was a good thing, and these Jesuits are heroes for doing this, right? Because it has that moment at the end, of the postscript, which mm-hmm. completely condemns what they did. You know, yeah, right. Well, it also kind of makes everything they did irrelevant because one tribe wiped out another, and like the Jesuits just happened to get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it also blames them being wiped out on the Jesuits directly. I mean, it says right. that they, they they accepted the faith. Oh, right, right, They right, got right. weaker so. because you know, it's just like what those three guys were saying when he arrived, when they were talking about what we should do with him. Should we kill him or should we, you know, get the baptism from him or whatever? And they were saying if we, if we, what is that noise? <laughs> it's like music playing outside. The neighbors. All right. Well, if there's, it's like they were saying, uh, if we accept there's religion, we can only have one wife and we can only, you know, we won't be able to do this and that. And it's like, yeah, it's exactly. And you'll, you like, if you have more, even from a logistical standpoint in their faith allows multiple wives, more sons are born, more warriors, more people to defend yourselves. Right. So if you're a Christian nation, obviously you don't have as many people. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So they become weaker by default over years, and then the uh, Iroquois just fucking annihilate them, you know? Well, like, it was only 15 years later. So. I know, but the Iroquois are so fucking evil in this movie, aren't they? <laughs> like, I thought yeah. they were... There is a, you know... Let me say this. I liked that uh, the First Nations were, present, were represented as people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. they weren't stock characters for the most part. Like, some... <coughs> are nice and understanding and some are not but then the the iroquois show up and i think because they needed a villain these people are are fucking villains yeah and yeah i'm you know massacres between these people happened all the time i am sure and there probably were some tribes that were pretty brutal but man, this is a well. These okay, are some, these are some bad people. Let me jump That's back to right. Wikipedia because uh, you know I read about all the Canadian martyrs, and uh, this guy Laforgue is based on one of them in particular, mm. who's a guy who went over there and uh, got his thumb and his forefinger chopped off by Indians. Right, and then he escaped their clutches just like Laforgue did, and then he went back to France. And then he was like, I got to go back. I got to rescue these people. I got to give them paradise. And he goes back and gets killed immediately. Oh he gets hatcheted to death Jesus with a tomahawk. But it's like this kind of shit. Yeah, like they, they were talking about like the, the torture devices and stuff that they would put them on. Like they were very not into these priests trying to convert their people. They were like, if you're, if yeah, you're not that. Yeah. yeah, if you're not us, you die and you're going to die in a horrible way. It's like like in like in the film when he tells when he tells the Indian you know, we're going to skin you and we're going to make sure that you're alive while we remove your skin and all this. You know, it's really like, yeah, it's yeah. fucked. It's like psychological also, you know, it's very disturbing. But then they have like, what's weird about that is it feels like shorthand the way they escape because it's like they're threatening them so hardcore and they're like so evil. But then they, they put one guard in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it's like, yeah. that's it. You know, it just seems yeah. like, well, I mean, I think they kind of like, Seems like they wanted them to escape. They the one guard to overturn to overtake, and then they just shoot the other guy with an arrow and they run away. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I think like too, like you mentioned earlier, like you know they're just have they're just having a steam bath later on, yeah. just yeah. casually talking about it. Like it's not really that. They're important. in the sweat lodge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, good. <laughs> it's so good. I, so I, I was like, I, when Jonathan canceled, I was so pissed because I was like, this movie is made for Jonathan. Like he's so into all this Indian shit. Like he would love. He's gonna. I thought he was gonna love this fucking thing. You mm. know. I'm not sure how he felt about it, really, but we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Really, really, uh, I, I'll just you know, I'll, and I'll just say, I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was yeah. not obvious already. I, I thought it was great, and I, uh, it definitely improved a lot of, on my first viewing of it. Mm. I still think, again, like they're they're torturing. I, I just still think the uh, the way the Iroquois look so much more evil relative to sure. The uh, Algonquin, yeah. even though, can't you even say, though, can't you, couldn't you, Cote oh, or Cote, what's his, um, Coyote? Ki- no. <laughs> what are you saying? Jomina? The, the main, uh, the main First Nations guy with them. Oh, yeah, uh, like Father? Comina, Co- or how do you Ch- say it? Chomina. Chomina. Um, even though Chomina basically says, like, we would have, like, we would basically do this too. Yeah. Uh, it's, it still just feels like cartoonish evil. Yeah, but the look Up to the movie. Uh, as far as the look of mm. them. I mean, you can imagine that they would try to look evil to instill that fear into yeah. the people, right? When they capture them, I mean, like the guy is like decked out in his chief gear, right? You yeah. know, it's like it reminds me of um, in the movie Wild Bill. Uh, there's a flashback uh, where Wild Bill confronts these Indians because he's riding on their like holy ground or something. He has to fight them, and the one guy's his whole face is just painted like stark white. 
It's very scary. <laughs> like I would be terrified to run into this guy. You know? Right. I think the only other uh, like representation misstep here is, uh, you know, the Algonquin are not like the French people, and it makes sense that you would show them as different. But uh, I thought the like showing the the fucking and the teepee was a bit much. Why? And why? Yeah. Because when he shows. I, th- I feel like he's showing them uh, fucking like savages. Like he makes sh- like the the two times you see Native American people fucking, they're doing like doggy style, and the only time you see the white guy fucking, it's like it's loving. It's very different. I mean, it's missionary you know, style. I don't know if I'd say it's loving. It I mean, seemed, he's he's still uh, fucking her pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I didn't get that at all. I just got it as like there. I mean, I think that's if you think about it, that's probably the way it would have been. Like I'm oh, sure the no. French would have been more reserved with their with their fucking than the Indians mm. were. I mean, the yeah, but he, you know, he was the guy that was fucking was he was he was going that direction. You know, <laughs> like he want, he wanted to like it turns out he wanted to live with them and stay with them. I don't. They yeah, probably, he was letting I mean, go of that French the, identity. Yeah, I mean that's true. But the I'm saying that the uh, you know. But I and I do fr- like like him being pseudo religious as yeah. he was. He might have even thought like doggy style is evil in some way. Or something. I do <laughs> like showing the 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 TP fucking though because like it was it was freezing. <laughs> they they had to do it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. The TP was yeah. where there was heat, and you of were course. in a group. That was just how it is. Also, I mean, you know, warmer to fuck that way because they were. He was like literally like laying on top of her, you yeah. know, while he was it's just fucking thrusting it in and out, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's good stuff, yeah. And that just, just, and not, not in a, not in a pervy way, but just, I, I hate that I'm coming off of this right. We're talking about the sex, but the the girl who was in this movie is incredibly good looking. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong here? The, You're Sandrine, not wrong, Sandrine Holt. She is beautiful. She's she fantastic. Absolutely beautiful, and yep. I can totally identify with Father Laforg, who who confesses that he lusted after her. I mean, <laughs> right, and she honestly has like, I, I was kind of surprised <laughs> that I've never seen anything else with her because she looks like. She, she looks could familiar. be a star. Racist. Oh, I thought you were saying she looks like a lot of other Indians that I've seen in movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just and I, I looked her up. She's actually uh, half white, half Chinese, uh, not Indian. Oh, really? But um, actually, I, I saw an, there was a uh, there was another fellow in the film that I thought looked very, very Chinese. I can't remember who it was. He was he was just some guy when they were all talking. At the, I think it was one of the Algonquins at the beginning. Right. And I remember thinking like that guy looks really Asian, like. I wonder if they just cast this guy as a Native American, you know. But well, I mean, which is fine because they, yeah, they came from Asia, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I just she seems like she seemed like man, she could have had a huge career after this. Mm. How do you guys feel about I, the I didn't uh, see Starship Troopers too, though? So I don't oh, see oh, yeah, might have been great. <laughs> right. How do you guys feel about the um, the 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 vision of the the ghost at the end the ghost woman who's going to take me away to the afterworld oh, okay. and then I she thought shows that up. was that was really interesting and the fact that like you know basically his visions come true yeah and like that I thought that was a real neat way to like you know kind of weave in some some doubts well it's a question or yeah some it's, I mean it's yeah, a question of you know yeah. is it coincidence or is it you know, is he even he like that? I at the end when that woman appears as after he dies, it's like you know she might not actually really be there. That could be his mind, you know. Right? right yeah. yeah. But there's no like cutaway to show like no. Of you course. know, she's not really there. Right. So, 
I also like the editing at the beginning in particular when they were showing the um the Indians getting ready for the ceremony and the French guy getting ready for the ceremony right, putting yeah. his armor on and they were putting their stuff on. And yeah. I liked all that stuff, all the comparison shots. Yeah. Yeah. I like movies like this where they like not necessarily go out of their way, but like show how similar people are. Yeah. Across you know, across <laughs> cultural and religious divides. Absolutely. I mean, it just really shows, if you really boil it down and you want to be cynical, it just shows how bullshit religion is in general. Because it's like, all these people believe different random shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, they even say that in the film. The The redheaded guy says, you know, how is this any, how is what she believed, their afterlife, how is it any more hard to believe than what we believe, you know? Right. It's like, it's agreed. Like, what? It's the exact same. If yeah. you were born in North America in the 1630s, this is what you would believe. Exactly. You, know, you wouldn't yeah. believe in Chris, in Christ, you know? Right. What about all the millions of Indians who died before the Christian missionaries got there? Right. Who didn't they, get the last uh, rites? <laughs> they're in hell. Exactly. They're Sorry. burning in hell with Satan right now. Or, sci- you know, science or like <laughs> the babies are in limbo. So. Right. The babies are in limbo yeah, yeah, yeah. because we can't bring ourselves to. But I was, that, that's what I was, uh, you know, would have been a great, great pick for, for the Jordan era of the podcast. Those first right. 10 episodes. Yeah. Would have been great because Jordan. No, I apologize for this every time. I'm sorry. I'm not Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually hating more on Jonathan than you, Jr. Because he's not here to defend himself. But uh, yeah, I thought you know, and he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> he won't either. No. I uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I wish it was just one of those films that needs a Blu-ray really badly, and we'll never get one because nobody gives a fuck about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I no mean, one at all. I'm. Besides you guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, because like I don't think it's on any streaming services. And the DVD, I mean, I went through. Uh, mm. I, I, I've I've been. I used to go to Fye weekly, right? Yeah, and this was always on the list of need to find a copy of Black Robe to buy, right? And I put it on my Christmas list for one year for my stepmom to buy it for me, and she said she couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, always trying to find Black Robe. To this buy. is <coughs> this is how Beersford has been punished. For the sin that was driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> his, his next few films have been just relegated to obscurity. Because mm. fuck driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, but that's you saying fuck my like driving Miss Daisy was a huge hit. So it's like it's weird that he. So we punished him for after driving. I know, but it's like he's, he comes back and does this. It's like this should have revived him. Be like, oh, he's actually really good. He should do more shit like this. You know, like, his his movie immediately after uh, driving Miss Daisy is on Criterion. What Which is, is also not great. Uh, Mr. Johnson. Oh, I've never seen that. It's filmed in, in uh, Africa somewhere. I don't think Africa. I've ever... I honestly don't think I've seen anything from Be- really? Beersford except this. Breaker Morant is, is very good. That's also on Criterion. Is it? Yeah. Good for him. Well, he did a... <laughs> you go, fuck. He did Double Jeopardy. And, oh, I did uh, see Double Jeopardy in the theater. And Mr. Church. Never did see that. I definitely recommend Breaker Morant. He did Tender Mercies too, which... Oh yeah, I've heard. Mm. I've heard that's good, but you said it's bad, right? I, I, it's like Oscar bait shit to me. Uh, I think like it won look, an Oscar, so it worked. Looking at all this stuff, it looks like all of his stuff is Oscar bait and stuff. I remember liking Double Jeopardy quite a bit when I saw it in the theater, but then I was, you know, I was like fourteen, so I right, don't know. yeah, could have been. I remember Ashley Judd. You can see her pubes in it. It was very exciting for me, teenage me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good-looking woman. These are the things I remember. I'm sorry. Uh, 
So you know? yeah. So all well, uh, you know, I I I liked it. I loved it actually. Um, anything else to say or ratings or what? Uh, ratings. I I'll suppose. go ratings. I'll go four and a half on it. I'm gonna go four. And uh, this is a movie that I enjoy thinking about more than I enjoyed watching it. Oh, it's <laughs> just. It's a way to, to justify the shit rating he's about to give it. Go ahead. No, no, it's not, no, no, no. Go no, ahead. It's three and a half. <laughs> I give it three and a half. But okay. I just, it was never like an exciting thing to watch. But so much of the stuff that comes up is really cool to think about. Like uh, the scene where uh, Laforg like proves that his writing and reading like it means something. Amazing scene. It was amazing great. scene. Was I had no idea what he's doing awesome. either. And then it happened. And I was like, right. That's fucking great. It, it yeah. Just the idea that like. Like we take reading for just so much for granted. We take written language for granted. It's just yeah, it's yeah. crazy. We don't think like to someone who's never written anything and just like that's like oh, no, how does that work? That's not make any sense. Right. You can't just write information down and give it to someone later. You have right. to say um, it. Yeah. Or, so or sing it. I loved that kind of shit, uh, but I just wish the movie was a little bit. Just a little bit more going on as far as entertaining goes. All right. Well, uh, great, great pick, Kevin. Sincerely. Probably your best pick, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, that you've picked in this. I, I do like that I watched this. And I, <laughs> no, like, I, I liked that I, I've never heard of it. Oh, right. And it's right. just, uh, you know, it makes me respect Beersford a little bit more because oh. I used to think that he was just like a one hit wonder with Breaker Morant and everything else was poop. He's a hack. Like yeah. Taylor Hackford. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just like him. Anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Our next episode is going to be my pick. Mm. Finally back to me. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you show up and we have more episodes. I know, right? Uh, I'm really stuck between like three or four different movies here. Um, Let us help you out. Well, one of them is like, Oh, yeah, I'm just going to cut that one out because no, you guys would never have access to it. Oh. You would. Oh. You would. Okay. But I'm saying you guys would have to download. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know. It's just like, and it's going to be weird to download. I mean, I do when I can, but so- sometimes they make it a lot more difficult than it's worth. Let me ask you this. You guys want uh, fun? You guys want uh Thriller? You guys want dead serious? You know, we've just we've had fun so recently with both Crank. Oh, that was a lot of fun. And Synecdoche, right? And a, lot of, a lot of fun. Your, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Did you did you have a rating for Synecdoche? I didn't watch Synecdoche. Yeah, I never got around to. I really, I was going not. to it. I didn't. I wasn't able to make the show, bud. I would have. I seriously. Right. <laughs> I've seen it before. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Blu-ray. It's sitting on my desk at home. Mm. We haven't. Well, I guess we. Your last movie was kind of a thriller. It was. Yeah. I have. I have another one that's in this in a similar vein, except less less melodramatic. You know what? Gotta go with your Fuck heart. it. Okay, we're gonna watch the Falcon and the Snowman, directed by John Schlesinger, from 1985, starring Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. Okay. So it is related to my other one because it's starring the guy who directed my other one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, I like As far as I know, you guys yeah, haven't seen this. Nope. Which is fantastic. I know Jonathan hasn't seen it. Uh, and it's about a, uh, a guy who uh, steals secrets and sells them to the Russians. It's, I remember quite liking it. It's 
in a while since I've seen it. But um, yeah, so we'll be watching the Falcon and the Snowman. It's a little lengthy. Is it? How long is it? 130 minutes. That's not that bad. <laughs> Two hours and ten minutes. Uh, as always, you can go to our blog and our website at filmyak.podient.co. You can write to us at filmyak feedback at filmyakpodcast.com. And uh, you know, that's it. So turn off the podcast. It's over. See you guys next week. Seriously, turn it off. posted about tom waits birthday okay yeah i figured that's fine i also thought about doing <clears throat> something for uh cassavetes because today is his birthday well he's dead so <laughs> I, was, I was just trying to lighten the mood after i don't know like, how much know, he'd appreciate it you know at this point but uh it's uh kirk douglas's 102nd birthday today so well, you might have posted about that but tom waits is important too kevin yeah. Kirk Douglas, living legend, icon of cinema. Hey, man. <laughs> Waits turned in the best Renwick that's on film. What's Ringwick? Renwick. Renwick? Yeah, one of your favorite movies of all time. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Renfield. <laughs> Who's Renwick? I don't know. <laughs> Good try, though, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's Y'all all do good. the podcast without me. No, no, no. <laughs>